1: consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron
0: on patreon even one dollar can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy look for a link over at the batmanuniverse.net to offer your support now and now on with the show
2: of course you can't find a camera attached to my device so there is no camera attached to my (laughs) my device so there you go you just did a shag laugh
0: is that how he
2: laughs? That's how he laughs sometimes.
0: <laughs> it's well, like five know. seconds to a... <laughs> oh, that... <laughs> he does do that one. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Ms. Gordon speaker.
0: Lopez Hair Removal, this is Jose.
3: Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Capes Crusaders. It took me three
1: years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it.
3: Funny, it only took me 10 minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls.
0: I'm your host, Stella, and this is Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast, episode 160. This is a big one, folks. No Man's Land, part one for August MMXVIII. Batgirl to Oracle is brought to you by.
3: It's time for some thrilling heroics, a brand new podcast on 2TrueFreaks.com. Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast. We aim to do the impossible, cover every episode of Joss Whedon's science fiction space opera western, and that makes us mighty. we found as fine a crew as ever populated the podcasting verse. I told them I had a job, they said yes. Didn't much care what it was. So join me, Andrew Leyland. I fought for the independence. May have been the losing side, not so sure it was the wrong one. I'm joined by a man too pretty to die, Mr. Paul Spataro. And last, but by no means least, a man with a mighty fine hat, Shepherd Bill Robinson. So join us on TwoTrueFreaks.com for Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast. We aim to misbehave.
0: Darker the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Well, this is a landmark episode, in my opinion. Someone that is not in the podcasting world asked about my podcast, and I said, I'm coming up on something huge. I think people have been waiting for this. I, I could have, maybe I was blowing it out of proportion, but I really believe that. And I had a short list of people that I wanted to join me on this journey. And this guy came up very close to the top. Probably was the top, honestly, because. He sent me his original trade paperbacks, and so it was really him that introduced me to this storyline. So I am forever grateful to this man, the great Michael Bailey.
2: I appreciate that. Yeah, I I remember – I can actually remember – I sent those when I was at work because where I worked had a uh, shipping thing, so and I got a discount on it. Mm. So I remember packing those up and going, you know, I don't really need these anymore. Uh, the funny part is, is that I thought I didn't need trade paperbacks of No Man's Land, and then I saw a really cheap lot of the new ones a couple years ago, uh, which has everything in it. Mm. So uh, they're they're back on my shelf. <laughs> okay.
1: Oh,
0: man. Well, yeah, I am just uh, so appreciative. And, and so whenever I crack those open, I'm like, oh, Michael Bailey gave these to me. So <laughs> it's really apropos, I think, that you are, number one, just on any of these five episodes, but number two, just on part one. I think it worked out really well.
2: Well, I appreciate it. This is uh, this is a story that I have a lot of affection for. Uh, I, I did not read it new, but when I read it, it was, uh, we'll probably get into that in a minute. Uh, but it's just, uh, like I said, when you, when we first started talking before we started recording, quote unquote, uh, you know, I was just like, any chance to talk to Stella is a good thing. Oh. So, you know,
1: so. You're like, do
2: you want want to come on and talk about Gilmore Girls? I'll be like, I don't really watch it, but I'll I'll, I'll talk Gilmore
1: Girls with you. Oh,
0: my goodness. Well, you're better than I because Shag asked me if I wanted to guest host on Justice League International, the blah, blah, blah podcast that he has. (laughs) And I told him no, but it wasn't because I didn't want to talk with him. It was because I didn't really have any expertise and I didn't want to drag his show down. But apparently the right thing to do if you're friends is just say yes no matter what and just sort of BS your way through so i'm so sorry shag i'll try to make it up to you but he he always brings it up so
2: well that's well guilt is is one of shag's many uh talents so (laughs)
0: probably that's probably true Well, oh my gosh! Uh, When we get to actually the coverage, I'll explain how we're going to be doing this, what order and the trade that we're following. So, just be aware, I will give you a guide as to how this is going down. This is part one of five, so you can expect this to carry on through December, which will be my anniversary episode. So that's apropos as well. But since I've got Bailey on here, I thought to myself. We need to talk some Superman slash Supergirl stuff. So I cut the cable, as it were, and I can't, in my little PlayStation subscription, get the CW. So I recognized that I wasn't going to be able to watch any of my little shows until they hit Netflix. So once I came back from Kenya, and I sort of just wanted to decompress, I ended up watching, very quickly, Supergirl Season 3. And so I think you probably were watching it live as it happened. I remember seeing maybe some posts and things on Facebook, but I try to stay away from it. But I did want to talk to you a little bit about this particular season. And mostly, actually, I want to talk about Brainiac 5. <laughs> <laughs> but what were your overall thoughts of Supergirl season 3? Did you have any. Uh, impressions of it, would you think in comparison to the the previous two seasons?
2: I, I think this is their strongest season so far. I, I enjoyed the first season. I thought it was a good uh, coming out of the gate, so to speak. Season two kind of lulled me into this kind of false sense of security because it began with those two great Superman episodes, sure. which I absolutely loved. Uh, I, I I rewatch that first scene of you know, where Clark Kent's at the, at the little newsstand, and he sees it, she sees it, and they save the space plane because it's Superman Returns. And But I think that season, since it was the first CW season, I think they, they relied too heavily on the romance angle sure. to, like, propel the story forward. And it's not just, you know, mon and Supergirl. It was, you know, as much as I liked the fact that Maggie Sawyer was on the show, it was just like, it's just too much. This season... It was kind of fascinating because it started off one way, and when they came back from the mid-season break, it's like it was a completely new season. Like, they were continuing the story, but there was a dramatic shift in the tone of the series. But I I really enjoyed just about everything about the season. I I enjoyed seeing the Martian Manhunter from Justice League and Justice League Unlimited come to play uh, John's dad. Yep. I liked Rain. I liked her. I liked Ruby and the, the whole relationship there. I liked the slow turning of Lena, not so much evil, but a little more uh, chaotic neutral, sure. I guess you could say. I enjoyed watching Kara just go through her paces. I thought they gave her a lot to do. I like, you know, I, I love Alex, uh, Jeremy Jordan who left at the end of the season, it was really funny about a week before they announced it. And I go, God, this guy's way too talented to be on the show. And it's not that the show is bad, but he's a secondary character. And that dude's not a secondary guy.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, I mean, he has got singing and, and, and dancing shops that are just like out of this world. I was watching newsies on Netflix and I was just like, God, this guy's good. <laughs> it's just, even though I have problems with that version of newsies, cause it's not the movie and I'm old, but I think uh, I think they had some fun episodes. They did a Smallville episode early in the season showing uh, Kara and Alex as teenagers. Oh, yes, yes,
0: yes. And even solving a wall p- of weird.
2: Mm-hmm, and, and solving a problem in their little town uh, with her superpowers and keeping that a secret. I was just like, this is such a love letter to Smallville. Mm-hmm. And even the ending, uh, even though I think, uh, and this is total spoilers, y'all, uh, I, I think Kara has gotten off very lucky so far because she's done time travel and not everyone hates her
1: sure
2: uh, unlike Barry who everyone hates because he used time travel like 15 billion times mm. but no I I enjoyed it I thought it was a real a much stronger season and I'm really curious as to how they're gonna you know go forward in season four
0: yeah I agree with you I very much enjoyed it as well I think broadening the cast in the sense of like really making it character driven and really getting to know these characters and not being annoyed when they took time out to you know go to lena luther or jimmy something you know just really making it feel like an ensemble cast i thought was great there are some things i felt like with the alex and maggie that was just such a long drive to the breakup, and I felt like Maggie was saying the same things multiple times about, like, she wants to be with her, but she also wants kids, and I thought, you know, after one conversation, you'd think she'd come to some sort of decision, but just uh, repetitious. And I was also concerned of how long the uh, will they won't they, with you know Kara and Monel and just sort of the awkward love triangle, but it kind of turned out okay, but then he came back and all that stuff. So there were some <laughs> mild concerns from me, but overall, I, I really enjoyed it, and you know, I, I binged it basically. So that shows how much I enjoyed it. I will say, though, with Brainiac 5, I think it was you. That posted a picture of him. Yes. I don't know what exactly you said, but I'm pretty sure I posted something underneath it about <laughs> I don't like his lack of handsomeness, and I guess that's probably pretty bad for me to say. I guess I was like android shaming, but. What I really, because I always feel like, and you are the expert here. Don't Supergirl and Brainiac Five have a romantic relationship? Yes,
2: they they, oh, they okay. were they were involved yes. in the uh, in the Bronze Age. In this, uh, I think it started in the Silver Age. But they were there's a there's a really great shot, and I think it's in Crisis Eight, where Brainiac is working on something, and the Legion is basically like, "Dude, it's okay," and it's right after she died. Uh. Uh, and they they did an annual. I think it's the Supergirl annual from '97 when they did the pulp annuals that year. And it was I think it was the, the the my romantic adventure or something. And it was her and the Brainiac five of that era. Mm. The, you know, like the Supergirl of that era and Brainiac five of that era kind of teaming up. Okay. And so I wasn't really expecting that. Uh, the guy they got to play it, I was just like, is this like Ezra Miller's cousin? <gasps> Because he reminded me a lot of the Flash from Justice League, mm. uh, just in his kind of his tics and all that.
1: Sure.
2: And, you know, he was out of makeup a lot because I guess that makeup is expensive. And, Probably. you know, uh, when I first saw it, I was like, it's your kids, Marty. It's your, we got to do something about your kids oh my. as they all hop in the DeLorean and, and go back to the future. Sure. But I, I, I thought the Legion stuff played nicely. Mm hmm. And because of that, I, I wasn't I didn't have a problem. They they needed to settle things between Supergirl and Mon El before they could even start I, I think having like any kind of romantic entanglements or attraction between the two yeah. of Brainiac and Supergirl would have I think it would have distracted from what they were trying to do because I I've seen on Twitter and I know it's the internet and people are angry, shock, surprise, yeah. gasp. But there are people that are angry that the 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 Monel Supergirl relationship ended as it did, and I think it ended perfectly. Mm. I was just like, no, get him off the table. He doesn't need to be here. I'm glad they gave him a costume,
1: yeah.
2: This year, but you know they they, they played all that out, and just continuing them together, there, there's there's nothing there anymore. Mm. So actually, having him choose to go back to the future with Wynn and 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 Irma and. Uh, you know to be with the rest of the legion i thought no this is how you do it this is this is what you need to do and i think supergirl more than anything else by bringing in brainiac 5 and taking win kind of off the table as as a permanent guest star i really think that they're breaking kind of this cw superhero mold because the flash does everything it can to keep that group together
1: sure
2: like, like okay Caitlyn's got weird powers and she turns into the Hulk, but you know, we're, we're going to keep her in because this is the cast and this show and, and Arrow seems to be kind of on a similar path where they, they got to keep that core group of people together and Supergirl's just like, nah John's going to go off and find himself Alex is going to take over as the head of DEO and Monel's going back uh, to the future with Wynn. And I'm just like wow, that opens up a lot of possibilities mm-hmm. of what they can do. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you sense any chemistry, though, b- between Brainiac 5 and Supergirl? Could you see no, those two getting together?
2: I, I could see them eventually, but they would have to do it slowly.
1: Okay.
2: I, I don't think they could just make that happen. Yeah. Uh, I would think, uh, you know, it, it, it's almost like, you know, Data dating somebody on Star Trek The Next Generation, which they actually did an episode uh, where he had a girlfriend. Ooh. And it, it's just like one of those things where... I don't ship them necessarily, but I'm not opposed to them being shipped.
0: Okay. I can't do it right now. Yeah, I I just don't see it right now. I guess my fond memories of Supergirl and Brainiac 5 are coming from Justice League Unlimited. Yes. Yeah, so (laughs) that was my thinking. I thought, who is this guy? I don't see that at all, so guess we'll see is there sort of a red sun superman elseworld-esque thing going on with what we saw at the very end where she lands
2: yeah and they've talked about that in some of the the lead up to the to the new season that they're kind of playing off of that Mm -hmm. and i think it's gonna have to do with what she did when she went with the legion ring oh sure i i don't have any confirmation on that that's just my opinion but i think they are going to do kind of a a red sun-esque version of her okay uh it's not going to be you know red sun because obviously it's not another earth where you know they have uh you know where she was raised by the russians mm-hmm. so but
1: yeah.
2: I, it was a good it was a good cliffhanger to end on though because it was just unlike the previous year i was just like oh where, where the heck is this going
0: yeah yep yep Well, very cool. Yeah, I can't wait for season four. I guess I I will have to, though. I'll have to wait until the summer. But I'm especially excited for the crossover that they'll have this year because they'll be Mm -hmm. introducing Batwoman. Yes. uh, Ruby Rose was cast as Batwoman. And I thought, I guess I I was naive, just like I was with apparently the War of the Superman. Is that what you called it? That thing that that broke the Internet with the Man of Steel?
2: The Civil War, yes.
0: (laughs) So I guess, you know, I'm not even certain things, but I thought people generally were excited that Ruby Rose was cast, but then someone on Twitter told me that, well, number one, she left her Twitter probably because of this, but I I guess people have been saying she's, like, not gay enough, whatever that even means, and they're upset with the casting. I can't even believe it. I was super excited for the casting. I thought this is great. She embodies, I think, the the Kate character, especially in – you, new, well, I was about to say New 52. But in 52, I remember how Kate like considers herself a lispic, l- whoa, lipstick lesbian. And Ruby Rose is very beautiful. So I just feel like that's perfect casting. And I don't really think that you know not being gay enough exists. I don't even know what that means. But yeah, I'm just excited to see her as Batwoman.
2: And the other thing is people don't want a gay superhero. So you you had that as well. It's just it's just like nobody can be happy now. Essentially, you're going to have these factions that are extreme on both sides. Supergirl got hit with that uh, back at the beginning, uh, right before season three hit, when they were at Comic Con and they did the singing of of you know basic. They, they did it the first, after the first season, so they had it planned a little better for the second season, where Jeremy Jordan was basically doing a song recapping the season. Oh and at one point he made a comment that no, Lena and Kara are not going to get together, and suddenly he's hit from a a certain group saying, oh, oh, you just don't support LGBTQ Mm. characters and such, and you know, it's just like, one, you don't know who Jeremy Jordan is, (laughs) if you say that, but two, it's just like, why are you, you know, one, not every character has to be together. Two, I get what you're saying, but just because the two actors have very good chemistry together doesn't mean that the characters should be romantically linked Mm -hmm. and three leave poor Jeremy Jordan alone. He's a great guy. But (laughs) now, but now we have it from like all sides where, you know, one side isn't happy because it's not enough of what they want. And the other side, you know, doesn't want it at all. And I looked at her like when they, they announced it was her. I didn't know who Ruby Rose was Mm -hmm. because I don't pay attention to anything anymore. And so I Googled her and I see this woman with tattoos and she's kind of skinny and she's got a sh- part of her head is shaved. And I'm like, oh, my God, that looks just like Kate Kane from the comics. <laughs> I was just like this is one of the some of the most perfect physical casting I have ever seen.
1: Absolutely.
2: And then Rachel kind of briefed me on who she was as a person. I'm like they went out and found Kate Kane. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am so I love Batwoman. I, can, I, I did stop reading the trades because I was going through, like, starting with Elegy and then going into the new 52. It got way too kind of weird at one point. Yeah. Kind of keying off of what Greg Rucka had done with people becoming, you know, turning into, animal, like, wear creatures sort mm-hmm. of, and... It just, I was just like, I'm, I'm not into this. I just kind of want to see her and Maggie together. Sure. <laughs> so, but no, I'm totally excited and I'm totally on board with a Batwoman TV show. Yeah. I, I this is going to be fantastic.
0: I wonder if they'll pull Renee or if they'll use Maggie.
2: Uh, it would, it would depend on if the actress wants to come back. You know, she didn't come back to Supergirl, yeah. but if it's in Supergirl's universe, sure. Then. I'd be down for that. Uh, I'd be down for introducing Renee Montoya and, yeah. and having that character. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I want her to become the question, mm. but I'm sure they will eventually do that.
0: Sure. I mean, they might do it in the Birds of Prey movie.
2: Yeah. So, and and well, you've got that going on too. It's yeah. just like it's like a, it's like a really good time for female bat characters. It
0: seems like it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just hope that if Kate, if there's downtime and Kate meets up. That there's not the obligatory makeout session with Alex like it happened in this previous one with Sarah <laughs> yeah. and Alex. Because I was like, why are you throwing these two, like, does it have to happen like that? Yeah. So.
1: It
2: didn't have to, but I think because Alex was getting over her breakup sure. and Sarah is just that type of character that I really liked that it happened because it's, it's this is going to sound weird. I think it's kind of what Alex needed.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but I'm weird. So what do, you, what do you
1: think
0: about that? <laughs> well, we accept you here at Beggar Girl, the Oracle. Well, moving on from that, I wanted to move into my last Superman topic, and it's actually the new direct-to-video film. It just dropped, I guess, in August, right? Or was it July?
2: The digital dropped at the end of July, and it was like August 7th that the Blu-ray DVD were released.
0: Death of Superman. Now this was a bit of a shock for me when I found out about it. I think I found out about it at the what was it, Batman and Harley, when I was watching that at San Diego Comic Con, and I thought to myself, why are we retreading this territory? And I understand that Bruce Timm felt bad about Superman Doomsday, and he felt like they could have done more, and so now they're, they're splitting up into two parts, right? Just two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's just it's going to be uh, three.
2: Death of Superman and Reign of the Superman. Reign of the
0: Superman, and so I went into this watching this. Film. Well, let me also say that I actually like Superman Doomsday. I think that may have been the one of the first, if not the first, to video. The very
2: first. Yeah. Of so the, I of probably
0: yeah, because it was back then that I consistently bought them because I trusted them. I think the only one I didn't buy was Green Lantern. But just it was good quality. I enjoyed it. I thought there were some really good moments. I understand that it's not everyone's cup of tea. So this one I thought, oh, we'll see. And I saw a trailer, and I was upset that the Justice League wasn't. (laughs) And it was like New 52, so it was like kind of in continuity, but still on its own. So I was going in not really too sure. After I saw it, when I was watching it, I thought, wow, this is actually really good. The character moments developing the relationship between Lois and Clark and, oh, I don't know. It was just really well-written. I thought one of the most well-written films that I have seen, especially recently. And then I saw it was Peter J. and I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. Yes. But I would love to hear what you have to say about this film.
2: If I wasn't at work, I would have bawled my eyes out at the end of this movie. <laughs> it was
0: hard, yeah.
2: And, and, be- and, and for a number of reasons, I... I uh, r- when when is this episode coming out what day This
0: will come out next Tuesday.
2: Okay. So by that time a a special on the Fortress of Tude will have dropped with me and Shag <gasps> talking about the yeah, talking about <laughs> the uh, cuz as we record this on the 24th of August, uh which isn't when we're recording this but it's coming up and that's when the episode's going to drop. 24th of August is the 25th anniversary. Of Superman number 82 coming out. Oh. That's kind of like the end of the Reign of the Superman. So I wanted to kind of t- talk about it. I didn't get to do a 25th special, anniversary special of the death last year just because of life. But I really wanted something here. And to, so to, to do something a little different, I had Shag on because he could talk about it from the retailer perspective. Mm. Since he was working at a comic shop at the time. And I thought that would be a really important uh, viewpoint to bring because that that's... You know, as much as it's a story, it was also something that was sold. So, the death and return of Superman is my my favorite Superman story. Is Exile, uh, sim- which is celebrating its thirtieth anniversary at the end of this year, mainly because that is when I that's that was the story that solidified me as a Superman fan. That's the you know the it was a continued story. It it, it brought in both it. Bounced between the two Superman titles at the time, and I I was 12, so you know, it was like the perfect nexus to make you a nerd. But the death and return, just that whole era and that whole experience, and everything surrounding it, and all the ephemera that's come out with it you know there was a there were two novelizations there was an audio drama done by the BBC you know we've had countless action figure thing you know lines based on it there were sequels and it's just to me it was just this it's it is my happy place with superman because i was fully entrenched by that point and i was ready for it as an event mm. So I liked Superman Doomsday too. I actually dug out because I reviewed the Death of Superman for the homepage, the Superman homepage. I, when I was doing that, I was like, did I write a review for Superman Doomsday? And I looked at my archives, and there it was. And I'm like, oh, I liked this movie. I remember, you know, I remember liking the film, but I also remember being a little disappointed that it just felt like. It, it felt like the Happy Meal version of it. And that's not saying it wasn't well done. It's just it was so rushed. You know, he's dead by the end of Act 1. Mm-hmm. He's back at the end of Act 2. Sure. And then there's the big fight. And it's just... And Lex Luthor is wearing Kryptonite gloves and beating up a clone. And what the <laughs> heck is that all about? Uh. But watching this, I'm like, finally, they got it. Mm. They got what makes the story important. And it's not a big, huge throwdown with Superman and Doomsday. It's the story of the people in his life and who he is and his sacrifice. Mm. And, but I was watching and I was like, okay, that happened in the comics. That happened in the comics. That happened in the comics. Okay, he's fighting the Justice League first. That's what happened in the comics while Superman was off doing something else. And then when Superman finally got there – He stops the battle at one point to save that kid and his mother. That happened during the storyline. I about busted out laughing when Lex Luthor walked into the Lexcorp building wearing a red wig and beard. I was just like, that's oh <laughs> a that's a great nod, because and it reminded me of when you read the story for the first time and we're, it's like, why does Lex Luthor have red hair? <laughs> and I did, yeah,
0: there was some crazy stuff going on in that. I remember. <laughs> uh, and,
2: and, and and it's funny that because you are the you are my uh, my go to when people are like, well, why don't they just adapt it? I go because someone's going to go, why did Supergirl turn to putty when he punched her in the face? Yeah. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. But they got it. And then in the aftermath, this is where I really – if I wasn't at work, I would have just busted into tears. There is the prayer Bibo says at the end of the film where he's talking to God. And he's like, why did you take him and not me? That is right out of funeral for a friend. And I'm like, they got it. They nailed it. And on a storytelling level – They introduced all of the other Supermen through the course of the film, so I'm just like, "This is great!" And look, there's the Excalibur, and there's Hank Henshaw, and there's Steel, voiced by Black Lightning, and there's, you know, uh, there's there's Superboy the Clone Mm -hmm. sitting in Dabney Donovan's lab, and on the way out, he grabs the leather jacket, and I'm just like, "This is all just it." It made me feel good. Like, watching this, even though it's her, it's incredibly emotional, even though that fight is wicked brutal, mm. I'm just like, they, they, they finally translated on screen all of my feelings about why this story is amazing.
0: Yeah. And there are just, oh, man, just the people-to-people interactions. Mm-hmm. You know, the action is amazing, but when you break away from there can it hold up and have that and just I really love that moment in the diner when He's revealing his secret, and, you know, she's laughing at him. I love when she says, oh, my God, that's so unethical. You wrote about yeah. yourself. But also when he said, I have one more secret, and then he had to run off, and he left that little card about, you know, saying I love you, and at the very end when she's trying to save him, and she, it comes back to that and says, I got your note. I want you to know I love you too. And, oh, man, like willing to sacrifice. There are just some really beautiful character moments that – I, I feel like I haven't seen in one of these DC films
2: in a long time. Yeah. Like the Justice League felt like a team in this.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I yeah. love, and uh, the funny thing is, is since they started doing, uh, I watched War like four years ago. I still haven't watched Throne of Atlantis or Justice League versus Teen Titans. I have them. I'm looking at them right now, actually. But I haven't watched it. But since start since they started these films and i watched that first one rachel and i have uh kind of gotten into and out of and into and we come back to it every once in a while criminal minds Mm, okay So, so i cannot not hear the dude from criminal minds a cyborg it's just so apparent that it's shamar moore uh also of the Birds of Prey
1: yes. television series, yep, by the yep. way, uh,
2: but no, it's just I, I loved the interaction of the league and how mm-hmm. you know Barry's getting married, yeah, and that brought into Superman's like, well, how do you share your life? And bringing the Kent's in to come visit when it happens was also one of those brilliant storytelling things. Okay, that gets them in town, so we don't have to cut to them,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's just there. You're you're absolutely right it wasn't just the action and it wasn't just the heart. It was the fact that they, they went out of their way to say this city loves Superman and Superman has these weird relationships because he can't really be himself unless he's with the Mm Kents. So it's like seeing him hanging out with the justice league and the joke is just like, I owe you one flash. You owe me like 30. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And hearing Nathan Philly in his Green Lantern again is just oh, fantastic. Yeah, I just right. it just there wasn't anything about this film outside of the fact that I don't like the new fifty two costume as a, in an animated form. Mm. That was my that was my one pit nitpick. Yeah. And even by the end I'm like, yeah, it's not that bad.
0: Yeah. It turned out to be okay. And even my thought of like why are the Justice League in this turned out to be okay. Because they were there, but I think it clearly was a Superman film
2: oh yeah doomsday annihilated them yeah I mean Wonder Woman held the line longest Mm -hmm. and the only reason Batman survived is he didn't take him on toe to toe Mm -hmm. uh, which was something I was very impressed with because usually you know if Batman's there he's going to get the first shot in but no it's just like oh god this thing's going to kill me Uh, you know Flash goes down Green Lantern goes down poor Hawkman Mm -hmm. (laughs) poor poor Hawkman he just can't catch a break
0: yeah first
2: one and, and just the whole you know aquaman's got a personal stake in this because he killed some of the atlantean guards and i was just like this was a very organic movie nothing felt like it was put in there just to be there it all felt natural to the story
0: mm-hmm. i think the only connection to because i was concerned of why they couldn't just do a standalone but really the only thing that connected it to the new 52 DC line with the direct to video is the fact that Clark and Diana had dated. Mm-hmm. And so they at least had that moment of, you know, it was nice for a while, but they're not dating anymore. Cause I did wonder with those costumes, wait a minute. I remember where they left that. So I was glad that they addressed that and didn't leave. Cause that would have been a big hole that everyone would have caught on to. I'm sure.
2: And it was a very adult way of handling it Absolutely, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, we had a relationship. Mm-hmm. We tried. We're better as friends.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and and I thought and and that's why when they they brought Lois in as you know Rao intended, <laughs> I, I I was I was like okay everything like it, from what I understand of listening to some of the the press junket stuff from San Diego, the the producers originally weren't going to have it be New Fifty Two. It was going to mm-hmm. be standalone. But okay. somebody on some level pushed it. I'm sure. But I actually think that worked to its favor mm. because it felt like there was a history there Okay. where you're just not coming into it. Now, I may not like how that history started because yeah. I think War is a pretty boring film.
1: Ooh, yeah,
2: uh, I was not a fan of it. No, uh, maybe, I, maybe I need to rewatch Throne it. Throne of
0: Atlantis, though, is good. So like things get up from War. War was the worst, but it goes
2: Which, which is appropriate because I felt the same way about the comics. Okay. It's like I, I, oh, I really sure, wasn't yeah. into Lee and john's first arc but when they did throne of atlantis i'm like okay this is what we need
1: mm, so yeah
2: i'm just excited
0: yeah uh, when does I, the I, next I, part come out do you know you're in the uh, note, early next so. year early next
1: year okay
2: yeah like probably it's probably going to be like the february march movie okay uh, which uh you know because usually that's when they release they release about four a year and it's seasonal uh and so i i am kind of I'm just excited for it because I think they're going to – seeing the preview that they put on the, the Blu-ray uh, that you can also find on YouTube, it's just like they're really getting it right, mm. which I which is so important to me. And yeah. it shouldn't be this important to me, but it is.
0: Yeah. I I think maybe I'll, I would really like to buy it because I, I just sort of rented it when I was watching it. So I might wait to see if they do the same thing that they did with Dark Knight and mm-hmm. – or Dark Knight Returns, rather, and see if they do, like, a bundle or have, like, an oversized and have both parts in together? You know... Do you think they'll do it?
2: Well, okay. (laughs) Warner Warner Brothers Home Entertainment is not above re-releasing stuff a thousand times. So uh, on that level, I can see them doing it. Uh, I don't know if I'd buy it. Uh, but then again, I didn't have to buy this one, so that was kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, but no, the the, um, the thing is with Dark Knight Returns, I sat down and watched both parts back to back, and that was one of the most grueling experiences of my life. Mm. Just because it's just like, oh man, I need a break.
1: Yeah. I, like
2: I can l- see that. L- like. Uh, I, so it was neat seeing it all as one long film. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of think this one would play better on that. Because you have Dark Knight Returns is just an unrelentingly bleak story with kind of a heroic ending. Whereas this is—you have the death and then the reaction and then the next part. I think it plays better. I mean, you read all of the trades back to back, correct? Correct. So— was that do you think that would have been better than just reading the death and then stopping and then coming back to the middle part and then coming back to? It
0: was only the better return? because it remained in my mind.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: I, all those details were together for me, so that's why I enjoy sometimes going through. I mean, I might not have done it bam, bam, bam. I may have had like a minor break, because I certainly had to do that with the nightfall trilogy uh, yes. with batman because there's just so much but it is nice i don't want to take too much of a break between things because it's nice to remember details instead of going back and forgetting what has happened
2: yeah nightfall is is one of those stories that you really want to kind of you kind of want to take a break yeah after after the first part mm-hmm. maybe a little break after the second part i think i, I think rolling into night's end is easier because night's end is only eight parts or, or something or 10 parts or something like Mm -hmm. that. Whereas nightfall proper is like six months worth of comics. And then the other part was like almost a, it was like a, like six months or so worth of comics as well. So, or at least that's what it felt like. Uh, I could go back and look at it and go, I'm completely wrong about this, but yeah, I I, I can see what you're saying about Mm -hmm. that.
0: Whew, okay. Well, thanks for talking some Superman with me. I know that's painful for you sometimes.
2: I hate that character.
0: (laughs) Man, that would be terrible. If you ever got to that point, what would you do?
2: Well, I walked away for about 10 months in 2010, so uh, I came back because, much like in The Outsiders, there isn't going to be a rumble without Dallas Uh, you are not going to have an Action Comics Centennial issue without Mike.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh, man. Whew. Okay. Well, now we're going to get into the main event. That was a warm-up. It was a warm-up. So we're going to (laughs) do some No Man's Land. Let me explain how this is going to happen, and then the big question that I'd like to hear from Michael, since I've shared my history, is what your history is. So Uh originally when they put these out... They had the five slimmer trades. And Mm -hmm. as far as I know, there are 100 total issues of No Man's Land. I say this because there's a website that I've gone to a couple times. And every time I go on there, an animation pops up and counts up to 100. So there are 100 issues according to that website. And they missed a lot in the original printing of these little trades. Recently, as you had said, Michael, they had these new that are the complete edition. And they're four. They're a little bit thicker. But they have all of the issues. So what I'm doing is taking more or less the layout of the five, so I can have five episodes, and then filling in the gaps with the ones that were taken out. This has worked sometimes. Uh, I <laughs> The first two episodes are pretty even. And then... Uh, I think the fourth episode is a little insane with like 21 issues. So luckily, Michael only had to do 12 or 13. But for more or less, I think it'll be okay. I don't know if I will have made a mistake until I'm reading these. But I think for the most part, it should be okay. So if that makes sense. Yeah.
2: It sounds like you've got a good handle on it. Because as, as you know, we're going to be discussing tonight. Yeah. You know, there are like little four issue arcs. Yeah usually with one writer writing all four issues so you're kind of you're kind of getting a complete story by covering all four at once
0: right yep so yeah i think this episode it seems to have worked out i'm still working on the next episode but yeah i spent a couple hours like going through and seeing what could i put here what could i not so overall i think everything that we're about to cover was in probably the slim paperback with the exception of the Asriel issues And I think there was probably a reason why they left them out. Uh, Yes, they tie in, but are they crucial to the story? Not necessarily. And I think they might bring up a continuity issue, which we'll we'll discuss, or at least some sort of conflict. But that's what's going on. If you're looking for the list, you can, when you downloaded this episode, in the info, I actually put the list of what issues I will be covering. So you can uh, check that out. But before we start, oh, and I should also say, (laughs) what's going to happen is, because I don't want to (laughs) put poor Michael through recapping completely these 13 issues, I think. What's going to happen is I have given DC sort of solicitation, and then Michael will give significant moments that we may need to be aware of. And if Barbara appears, which actually she appeared a great deal in this episode, then what was she doing? And so what we'll do is we'll go through couple issues that take up an arc we'll talk about that arc we'll move on to the next one and then our overall thoughts on what's happening does that make sense
2: Uh, makes perfect sense
0: okay I'll probably have to repeat this all the time I will always wonder how shag like consistently repeats the who's who stuff and I guess I'll have to get real good maybe by part five I'll have it really down and everyone knows what's happening so before we start recapping and talking about this I did want to know your history I'd be interested to know your history of batman no man's land
2: so back in the early 2000s late 90s and early 2000s i made this considered effort to get every batman book and when i say batman book i'm talking batman detective legends of the dark knight shadow of the bat Catwoman. i already had pretty much full runs of robin and uh nightwing uh by that point And so I and the the idea was I was going to read starting with the post-crisis stuff. I was just going to read through every Batman book there was from 1986 up until I started in 2003. And over the course of like a year or so, I read through all these books. I read, you know, got through like the early post-crisis stuff, the Introduction of Tim Drake, Nightfall, uh, Contagion, Legacy, and a, you know, reread Cataclysm because I bounce, I dip in and out of Batman as mm. a new, as a going concern. And mm. Cataclysm, I actually came back and stopped right before No Man's Land, so I never read it, even though it was only like three or four years old at that time. And I vividly remember sitting there. When I got all the books together, and I'm like, I'm, I, I'm here. I, I'm going to read No Man's Land, finally, because I say I didn't read No Man's Land. That's kind of a lie. I stopped collecting the books right before No Man's Land, and I restarted buying the books at the end. So the first issue I got into, I think, was the one that has Lex Luthor on the cover. And I read those that, that finale and that gut punch of an ending and I was just like, now I get to read the whole thing. And it was just – it was kind of an emotional experience at the time because No Man's Land really is both literally and figuratively the end of the 90s for Batman uh, because it ran all the way through the course of 1999 uh, pretty much. You had like everything that came before it kind of culminated in No Man's Land. Mm. And if they had just canceled Batman after this, I think it would have gone out on a high note. (laughs) Sure, Uh, yeah. But then we get into the 2000s where things get really weird from time to time. Uh, But you also – but it was also just this – for me, it was just like getting – it wasn't Christmas because it's a really dark and bleak story at times. But the first time I read No Man's Land was not the comics. And it's the same way with Nightfall. I missed out on Nightfall and Night's End and all that completely, but I read the novelization by Danny O'Neill, the summer of 94. And so when I saw there was a novelization of No Man's Land by this guy named Greg Rucka, who's that? I I bought it and I devoured it. And the great thing, you know, we don't get so much in the comics, but in that novel – you're like 40 60 pages in before Batman shows up and yeah. you don't care. Yeah. You just don't care because you're you're just deep in with the characters that you've been introduced to. Mm-hmm. So by the time Batman gets there it's like, "Oh, Batman's here. Oh, that's that's nice. That's good." Because it's a little more linear timeline-wise than the than the comics are. So uh, postscript to that, I I started reading Greg Rucka pretty heavily after that. I Uh, Read the first three of his Atticus Atticus Kodiak books, and they're really, really good. And I recommend them highly Uh, and started buying Detective Comics because of him. But No No Man's Land is like one of those things where I'm just like if someone's going to ask me what I think are some of the all time best Batman stories, I just say No Man's Land, like the whole thing, not just one part of No Man's Land, the whole thing, Mm because you have to read the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I agree.
2: So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
0: I enjoyed your story. Thank you. Okay, well, without further ado, shall we begin?
2: Yes. Am I supposed to do something?
0: (laughs) You're supposed to, I guess, read the little Oh, 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 oh,
2: I'm reading it. I thought you said you were going to read it. Oh, no, this (laughs) is (laughs) your (laughs) little job.
0: Okay. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay.
2: You need to you need to do that as an outtake at the oh, end. know,
0: I think okay. that'll stay in where it is, sir.
2: <laughs> okay, so everything starts with Batman's Batman No Man's Land number 1. The National Guard blocks all of the borders to Gotham to let no one in or out. Oracle Oracle develops a new network of agents and creates maps that lay out the territories of different uh, of different factions and who controls them. This continues into Shadow of the Bat number 83 where Gotham falls into more chaos with Batman still missing. James Gordon takes his task force to regain control of the city sector by sector, but things don't go so well for Gordon when he runs into the street demons. I, I love the street demons. Uh, I've loved them since 1990 when they were introduced into the comics. No law and a new order continues into Batman number 563 with a simple overtag by the blue boys, who are the GCPD. A war broke out between the low boys and the street demons. After days of bloody combat, the blue boys simply walked in and claimed both territories, which include police HQ and the clock tower. Where some woman named Barbara lived.
1: Yeah.
2: Batman and Alfred returned to Gotham City, and after contacting Oracle, Batman ran into the new Batgirl. He told her he did not approve, but also did not disapprove, and ordered her not to disgrace the symbol. And uh, Batman, uh, no law, and a new order ends in Detective Comics number 730, James Gordon, even after seeing the Bat Tech, continue trying to convince himself that Batman was gone. Batman infiltrates Scarface' faces gang, takes him down, and claims his territory.
0: Okay, what would you say of those like were important moments that people would need to to know if they weren't reading?
2: Okay, so the the, the significant part outside of Batman return Batman's return to Gotham, because unlike the novel, which Begins at the very beginning of No Man's Land. This begins like uh, like th- almost three months in. So you're kind of, as you would lovingly say, in Mateus Rays.
0: <laughs> I uh, would lovingly say that. Thank you. you
2: you're, you're already in. So Batman returning doesn't have like as much emotional punch. Because it's only been two issues, basically, mm-hmm. until we see him again. But... The important thing here is it establishes that Gotham is now under uh, uh, basically a fiefdom where different gangs, quote-unquote, control different parts of the city. And and one of the cool things that I love about these comics is that they have maps that show you who controls what territory. Yes. And those maps will shift as the story goes on. And the the crucial part of this is... It's kind of James Gordon wrestling with am I a cop or am I somebody trying to regain control of a city? Mm. Because those are two different – two very different roles. And we see within his group as he's making these decisions, these very gray and morally ambiguous decisions, that there are people that want to go more brutal and there are people that want to do less brutal. So you got William Pettit, uh, who is uh, was was one of the SWAT guys, who's constantly like, "No, Jim, we got to do everything. We, yeah. we have gotta, we've got to we've got to go in there and we've got to kill everybody, basically." Mm-hmm. And then you have guys like Foley going, "Why are we doing this?" And one of my favorite parts is someone's like, uh, Bach is just like, "I think you've got an ulterior motive here." And he's like, "What do you mean? Well, your daughter's in that section." And he's like, "I, I will." deny that at all and i love that moment yeah where it's just gordon going no no we're doing this because we need to do it but we're also doing it because i want to go take care of my daughter sure. so the fact that they basically incite a war between the low boys and the street demons and those people are killing each other it's not dudes with sticks and bats and stuff like beating each other and at the end of the fight they all go to their different corners and you know, get better and then come back and fight. No, they're killing each other. Mm-hmm. And it kind of in an Oracle's narration through it kind of illustrates this fact. At one point, it's one of the things that sticks out in my mind is both the low boys and the street demons were burning their own dead, claiming it was their enemy and then going, you know, basically house by house or or home by home and convincing the people in their area, it's just like, if you let the low boys or the street demons in here, they're cannibals. They're going to kill you. We're your only protection. And basically, they weaken each other to the point where the goth, the, the blue boys can come in and just take over.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and on top of that, you've got a new Batgirl. You've got Batman returning, but not understanding the city anymore.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So you've got Batman kind of on the back foot. And I think it just beautifully sets up the world that Gotham now is and shows that even if you have one of the main bad guys, who is Scarface, who who tried to take advantage of Cataclysm, by the way, yep. you know, he, they can be taken out and, and lines are going to move and people are going to make some really what might in other contexts be immoral decisions, but it makes sense for the world that they're living in now. Mm-hmm. So those are my big takeaways from this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think it really sets up that something is absolutely different because you see how Jim is acting. I think that's sort of the first clue (laughs) that something is amiss and you have to live in this world as potentially the gangs that you fought against in the past, I think his methods are a little bit shady, and you know he questions it even to Sarah and, and considers it, and tries to hold some sort of line, but it is really difficult. But they're acting just like a street gang, and you you were talking about how the the low boys and and the demons. We're shouting up to people but also the blue boys were doing that as well like we're here to protect you and so everyone's trying to to gain the territory and survive and and they all have their different motives but you almost have to just blend in with the scenery and then even batman i felt was pushing it a little bit because he did let that guy fall into the water and get blown up by the mine yeah yeah uh, and I realized that Alfred was dangling, but I'm sure he probably could have caught both of them. <laughs> but, you know, he is, yeah, it's it's just really, what an, <laughs> a really stark contrast to what, it's, what it was like previously. You've brought up a bunch of stuff, and I want to go off of what you had said, but we'll start with Scarface.
1: Yes.
0: He was, in fact, the man behind, I remember Josh was on and was asking, you know, did I recognize who it was? And even when I was reading Cataclysm, I recognized that the way he was speaking was a clue, but I couldn't think of who it was. But why do you think, do you think there's a connection with Cataclysm here? Why do you think Scarface was the first sort of big bad that was taken out in this overall story?
2: You know, if I had to take a guess, because I don't have an in story reason, <laughs> Sure. but I, I think they are taking the villains as kind of a hierarchy.
0: Okay.
2: Whereas Scarface in the 90s was kind of a big deal, mostly because I think he was on the animated series. Uh, But also he was one of Alan Grant's pet characters.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, I think starting with him you have a recognizable bad guy, right? Who is trying to live in this new reality that Gotham, you know, post, you know, being part of the United States exists in. So taking having him there, you have a recognizable character, but you're not going to start with Two Face. You're yeah. not going to start with the Joker. Penguin's involved, but Penguin's a background character in just about all of these stories. Mm. Uh, I, I think he's a good backbone character because he's doing what Penguin or the Penguin of this era would do, which is I've got. Connections and stuff, and I'm just gonna live my life. Mm-hmm. And if and I'm gonna control my territory, I'm going to line my nest, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so I think having him there, you have not a C-list villain, but not the Joker sure. to start things off with.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. They're a bit smaller to potentially start off with, and. Really, the threat with him, I would say, is more the goons that he has surrounding him rather than yeah. you know the puppet himself. But I think it is a nice nod to Cataclysm because he was preying on the people there. So it's almost like a direct little bridge from that story to this one that I liked that they set him up first. But yeah. it could have, could have potentially been anyone. But I think with you know Penguin, I'm glad how they set him up because they're setting up this mystery of his pipeline. And we'll see throughout that he keeps popping up. So he is a nice little anchor character that keeps coming in and could be used for good or for bad. We'll see.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Barbara Gordon is known as a chronicler here which I I like because of how she's journaling and keeping track of everything. I also like that she has contingency plans, which she made first because of contagion way back when, so you get to know her uh, very much as a planner. And we also get to see how she gets her information, which uh, sets things up later, I would say. But do you think uh, in this arc that she plays a... Pretty big. No, that's not the best question to ask. How would you say she ranks character-wise in No Man's Land?
2: It's hard for me to separate the comic story and the novel. Oh, very. True. She's one of the narrators. Yep. So I, I will always consider her to be integral to the story. Okay. Uh, even when she's not a, as big a player, uh, I love there. There's a moment in the uh, in the second story we're going to be talking about where she basically says, "I am." A high tech girl in a low tech world. Yeah. So she has her helpers, and you know she has her, you know, like her little little army of informants. And I love how they explain they're getting their information to her. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's not like it was before, where she would just climb onto the internet, even in the '90s, and just find out anything she needs to find out. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a different world for her, and she's trapped because. There's no electricity. Sure. So getting up and down her building, that ain't easy. Yeah. So the fact when 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 Gordon comes to get her and he brings her downstairs when she, you know, spray paints the GCPD thing. Yep. I was just like, that's probably the first time she's been out of that place since No Man's Land started.
0: Yeah, most likely.
2: So I, I, I you know, I love Barbara. I. Uh, so I, I can never not think of her as a uh, as a big player mm-hmm. in the batman world uh, i think there are stories where she is not as big of a part of it but to establish things she is absolutely essential to this yeah. th- these four issues
0: and i think she's great for the reader to catch them up and to give bias as well as i think non-biased views of what's happening you know and it involves i think the blue boy she's probably biased, but just the state of things and, and what's going on and how people got out or didn't get out and how humanity <laughs> has fallen, things like that, I think she's she's great to learn. Whereas, you know, instead of having info dumps, I think we're getting some of that, but it's done really well as a narration from someone that we care about.
2: Well, you know, on a, on a, on a, on a technical writing level, you know, you have to establish this world. And having her be that person to establish it, Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like, you know, clunky exposition.
1: Yeah. Because
2: you're interested, because it's coming from someone you like. Yep. And, you know, uh, we haven't talked about it yet. This was written by Bob Gale,
1: Mm.
2: uh, who is, I think, most famous for writing the Back to the Future film. Uh, But this was like one of the. This was the time when Hollywood started coming into comics a little more. Mm -hmm. And if you read the the individual issues Denny O'Neill uh in 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 his little introduction is from the den which was his column in the letters column you know it's basically like Bob Gale came in and tightened everything up mm. because behind the scenes this was a departure from what the Batman books had been doing you know for for the bulk of the 90s it was Chuck Dixon on detective uh Doug Mensch on Batman And Alan Grant on Batman Shadow of the Bat and Legends of the Dark Knight, uh, which crosses uh, into the series eventually, into the storyline eventually, was written by, like, you know, a a bunch of different writers. It was a different creative team for every story arc. So now, you know, this storyline is written by Bob Gale. The next storyline is written by Devin Grayson. So it was also a time when they were bringing in new blood and Greg Rucka comes onto the Batman books at this point as well. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, you had these three writers basically setting the me- setting the table for most of the decade. And now other people are coming in and serving the meal. And I think that actually I- – I was not ha- – I-, I didn't like the art. Uh, Alex Maleev, I think, is a very talented artist. I don't think he was quite right for this story arc.
1: Because
2: mm. the art, to me, gets a little muddy at times. Uh, but it wasn't bad, so I – I don't want to ping it too much, but creatively I think it did everything it needed to set up what the storyline is going to be and what the stakes are for the people of Gotham.
0: Mm, Yeah. I think there's no one as capable as Barbara because I'm just imagining someone else in that role and would they, if they were so attuned to technology and so connected to it, would they have been able to transition as well as she did? And even she recognizes that she was out of her depths to a certain extent, but she's Mm -hmm. able to capitalize on what she knows. And I think she's very smart with her messengers and we see that she lies to them a little bit where she says, you know, there's a stock of food somewhere, but there's poison, and so, you know, you've got to bring it back to me or get me this information, and I'll give you an antidote or something like that. And so, of course, there's not really, but it's a a way to, I think, get some loyalty and trust and and also get that information instead of people running around. And she's helping people out. They're helping her, but she's also helping them. And this is going to be huge once we introduce a certain Asian character that Donovan loves. But, yeah, I'm so happy to see her in this, and I think, you know, there, I guess, is the next arc, right, with the fear that we don't really see her at all, and that's fine. She doesn't need to be everywhere, but I think when she is, she's really utilized well, and, Mm -hmm. of course, Batman is as annoying as ever because he just pops on to, like, talk to her. I don't know if it was in this arc or later on, but he pops on to talk to her and says that he's back. Oh, it must have been this arc, and yeah. then it pops off when she's trying to reply to him. But yeah, so I'm I'm just glad to glad to see her. But we'll talk about her again, especially with Azriel, because there's some some big stuff going on. Uh, I want to talk about the female Batgirl. At the time, did you know who she was?
2: No, we didn't know who she was yet. Okay. Uh, I wasn't reading the books, but I remember that being something people were talking about. Mm. Because uh, and and they weren't quite sure who she was, and of course that changes. So right. have that, and I think they're really good about keeping that mystery alive mm. uh, and kind of throwing you off the trail. Uh, I, I like that you, you can't you can't do that live action, and you can't do that uh, in the audio drama sure. because it's obvious who it is if you're paying attention, uh, but here it's just like okay there's a new back and I, I remember that seeing that cover of her swinging uh, through the city on the stands and I'm like oh that's kind of an interesting look that's it's a you know she's completely covered so it could be anybody under there
0: mm, yep I also think that it was hidden really well I don't know that I knew who it was when I was reading it the first time but even now knowing then you're looking and once you find out who it really is you think about the times that they both appeared maybe in the same issue yeah and so it's like it's really definitely done I do wonder, though, given the fact that she was around, and I do realize I was redundant. I said the female Batgirl before, so there you go. But I, <laughs> given the fact that she was around while the real Batman was not, I did little quotes, why do you think she would bow to him, you know, in a sense, and even suggest that, uh, you know, she could take off the costume if if he if it displeased him? What's going on with I, that? I think we're
2: getting into who she is. Okay. And what her place is in Batman's world. Mm. I don't know if you're wanting to give it away right now. Uh, I don't if you know want why to keep either. Hidden, but that's interesting
0: because I disagree with you. Because you think the other character, who she is, would bow to Batman after all of the stuff that she's done?
2: I think deep down she would. I think deep down she wants nothing more than to have his blessing. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't see that as a weakness on her part. Sure. Uh, because she's a very strong character. Yeah. But she's also a very proud character, and basically getting Batman's approval means that she won.
1: Okay.
2: You know, she's able to convince him that she's, quote-unquote, worthy. Mm. I think there's a part of her that wants that desperately, but so she's trying to play in his world, Mm. you know, by adopting his costume and creating the Bat Tags. Uh, which I, I don't know if we talked about much. Everybody, every gang basically has their own yep. glyph that they spray paint on their territory, you know. And she's spray painting bats throughout it, and this and this creates kind of a thing where Jim Gordon, you know, in, in the first issue, somebody cre- you know basically does a makeshift bat signal, and he destroys it because. Mm-hmm. And and I think this is actually done a little better in the novel than it is in the comics. Uh, and I think it's because just of the nature of how the storytelling in the comics is. We're going to be talking about something in the Azrael thing that completely negates the importance of something that comes later. Uh, where I'm like, oh, they're dealing with that now. That's really stupid. Uh, you uh, so you have James Gordon like wanting to get you know doesn't believe that Batman's back doesn't believe the tags. So when Batman shows up. She's like, okay, I'm going to try playing it this way. But the thing is, is that she is in the story in an, as another character. So I think there's a bit of struggle in her mm-hmm. about what she really wants to do,
1: mm-hmm.
2: if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah.
0: We can assume, don't you think, that he knows right away who it is? Oh, he knows exactly okay. who it is. Okay. So that's interesting then, given the history that he would even allow it. Do you think he's just desperate for bodies right now?
2: I, I think... The, the point of this story to me has always been, this is Batman taking all of the lessons he's learned since nightfall and finally realizing what they are. Hmm. Batman at this point uh, in the comics was getting more, I'm going to use a term that's not quite 100% correct, but I think it also is very fitting. He's more militaristic. This is a war. Robin, Nightwing, uh, Oracle. They are his soldiers.
1: Mm.
2: And you have to... And you either live up to his expectation or you get on the bus, essentially. Mm. And what he's... What we what we figure out in this first storyline is he's trying to do it all on his own. In the first issue, there's a scene where Oracle momentarily contacts all of the other people that are Bat characters. Mm-hmm. And... You know, basically, they're all like, you know, well, he told us to stay away. So the fact that Batgirl is there, I think he's using her because she is, at that point, more knowledgeable of the no man's land than he is. Yeah. She's been carrying on the fights, like the, the 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 tags. I intend to adopt it. You know, that that, that kind of thing. Although uh, there is a scene, though, <laughs> quick digression, uh, which because it all comes back to Superman. <sighs> When we see Nightwing, Superman's in the background. And if you read this for the first time and go, why is Superman there? Mm. During this month...
0: Yeah, there's that Nightwing issue, right?
2: Yes, but Superman's everywhere. Because of the storyline going on in Superman at the time, he is trying to basically... He's kind of given up being Clark Kent and he's monitoring the entire planet. So he guest stars in Titans and Impulse and Robin and and uh, But the Nightwing one is the best one because it's written by Chuck Dixon. Uh, and so, in fact, if you have the individual issue, in the back it shows that Nightwing issue with Superman on the cover. But, yeah, it's kind of funny that now I can play, place this story as happening during that story,
1: hmm. uh,
2: which the continuity wonk in me kind of goes, wee but, yeah. but, you know, I, th- I think this storyline for Batman... Is him learning that he can't do everything on his own, that he needs his team, and he needs to get that stick out of his rectum. Mm. So the fact that she's already there is the only reason he accepts her.
0: And he didn't he have a Batman? Didn't he have a conversation with Alfred on the bridge, or maybe it was in the tunnel in regards to? Wasn't Alfred saying you said you would never do that again, like be solo, that sort of thing? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So I think even you're, – you're absolutely right. I think he recognized that that was just poor form, that he tried to go out on his own. So he needs, he needs to have some people, which is good. It's good.
2: Yeah, I mean and, and, and he really gets to that about halfway into the story,
1: mm. uh,
2: into No Man's Land as a whole. Right yeah. now we're just in the early days. We're just, you know, we're just getting everything started. We
0: sure are. And,
2: and I think this story does a really good job of doing that.
0: My final question on this arc is, if you were Jim Gordon, would you trust Batman ever again?
2: If I was Jim Gordon, I don't know if i trust Batman in the first place. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I think Jim is in the same position Batman is in. I think they are flip sides of the same coin. So Jim has a chip on his shoulder because he's relied on Batman, and now for three months, Batman hasn't been there when he needs him the most.
1: Mm.
2: If Batman had stayed in No Man's Land from the very beginning, and he and Jim had planned things out, I think Jim wouldn't have the problems that he does. Mm. But uh, there, there's a line in the novel where Sarah Essens talking to Montoya, uh, and she says he's feeling not uh, not irrationally that he's been abandoned. Mm. And Jim and, and we talked about it before, but it bears repeating. Jim's doing some really shady things here. Yep. He, is, you know, he is giving in to baser instincts and doing things that he could never do as a cop. You know, you you could never get two street gangs to kill each other in a major metropolitan area and, and, and have that be legal. Yeah, there would be ramifications. But because there is no law, and I think one of the 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 things this opening arc does well is that it spends its first few pages showing people trying to get into Gotham and being turned away. So we start on the outside and move our way in, which gives us a sense that Gotham really is cut off from the rest of the world now,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: which I don't think is even remotely constitutional, but that's entirely (laughs) beside.
0: Oh, well, I mean, Nick Scratch did all that stuff, so. yeah. I think, you know, I feel bad for Jim, but it's one of those, you know, once burned, twice shy situations because he felt betrayed when Batman left. I'm trying to think here, when was it? Oh, yeah, it was during Nightfall because yeah. he uh because Nightwing, well, Dick was in the suit and he knew and he just felt lied to and betrayed. So, you know, another he's felt betrayed again because he left. And I don't know if he at this point in time considers him his his closest friend because we've seen in some iterations that that's true. But to have that happen and have Batman be nowhere, I absolutely see all these emotional reactions that Jim goes through, especially with the destroying of that remade Batman signal.
2: I, I think Gordon is another one of those things Batman has to learn about. Because mm. Batman is always, the, the 90s Batman operated under the premise of my stuff's more important than your stuff. Sure. You are here to serve my goals. So they're friends, but it's a really – Batman is basically the guy that comes over and gets anything he needs from you. Like he gets – like like borrows five bucks or drinks all your soda or, or or mooches off of you for food and then is just gone and doesn't tell you what he's planning and then expects you to be there at the drop of a hat. Mm. That is their friendship.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, man. I do remember, I can't remember when it's coming up, but that silent issue when Batman pops into his little backyard, that's a very, Uh whew, that's a big one.
2: Yes. Yes, it is.
0: Well, before we give a nice little rating of the No Law and a New Order arc, I will say that I realized when I was reading this that the street demons are the very same street demons that popped up in the recent Batgirl 24. I didn't really recognize because <laughs> it had been so long that they were the same people. So that was a good nod back to them. So, Michael, what would you give this, uh, I guess, the four issues, right? And then the introduction? Or uh-huh. is it three issues? Three, yeah, it's, it's, four total
2: it's issues. It's the special yeah. and, the, and yep. the three regular books, yes. Yeah. Are we doing out of ten or out of five? Out of ten. I will give it an eight. Okay. Uh, I think it does a good job of setting up the world. I liked the character moments. Uh, it's just the art drags it down a little mm-hmm. bit for me.
0: Okay. I didn't have – normally I have problems with the Batman Chronicles art, so I don't know when I get to that whether I'll like it or not. But overall, I actually enjoyed the arc, art, and I think I'm actually going to step you up, raise you a little bit, and say nine. I, I think it absolutely does a wonderful job of setting things up, setting up some mysteries, putting Oracle in a good place. Casting some doubt on characters that you would think would be good and, and wholly true to their natures, and just setting you in this world that now you're like, oh dear, these are the stakes, and this is what's going to happen. And also, I think pointing to people that you know are going to snap over, you know. So there are nice hints that are that are set up for you. Well, the next arc is fear of faith. So how about you give us our uh, publisher summaries there?
2: Fear of faith. Begins in Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, number 116. This is a new chapter of the No Man's Land saga, which begins with uh, fear of faith, as I just said. Chaos continues to reign in Gotham City as citizens stand huddled in fear. And when fear comes into play, the Scarecrow isn't far behind. This continues into Shadow of the Bat, number 84. Scarecrow ends up in the fallout shelter and finds the weapons that Father Christian uh, who has basically his own little island in Gotham City that Gordon and his men are trying to basically say, you need, you, you need, you need to let us in because you need your protection. But Father Christian is storing weapons for the penguin in exchange for food. Scarecrow lets all the gangs know about these hidden weapons. This goes into Batman number 564, where the Scarecrow continues his sick experiment in mind games in the Ark Project Refugee Center and attempts to cause a riot. Among the people, and finally, in Detective Comics number 731, a firefight breaks out. Penguin's men killed the False Face gang and grabbed Father Sounder with the GCPD nearing. Batman ended the skirmish. Scarecrow was fingered as the instigator, but the huntress turns the tables on him with pity. He let the refugee camp discouraged and burned his outfit. Father Sounder helped everyone drop the weapons off a bridge, and Batgirl took... And Batman, excuse me, took Batgirl to one of his caves.
0: Yes, but not for a romantic rendezvous.
2: Yes, that only happens on rooftops for Batman.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's true, that's true. As a note, there's no oracle in this arc, so just be aware of that. So what would you say significant moments would be for people to know?
2: You know, it's kind of funny because this is an interesting storyline. I think it kind of dove into the mindset of people in Gotham City. But you could take this out and it doesn't matter. Mm. Uh, (laughs) So the significant parts are for... So any significant parts that we talk about is only significant to this story. There is nothing in here that furthers the No Man's Land story as a whole. So significant to this story is that you have these two priests who have set up a refugee center that takes people of all faiths. And the scarecrow has basically come in to play his mind games with everybody. And the huntress is there to stop him essentially. So those are the important parts. The penguin plays a major part in the story as he, Basically, gives the weapons over to Father Christian to hide mm. in in his basement because it's the one place that no one will look for them. No one will think that there's a cache of weapons in the bottom of what is ex- essentially a refugee center. Sure. And and the reason why he doesn't let the Father Christian and Father Sounder don't let the cops in is because they have illegal immigrants and people who are refugees from war-torn countries, and basically letting the police in would make them feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we got this. Uh, Gordon doesn't buy that. And so what you really have is kind of an interesting, uh, not so much a morality play, but mind games on the part of the Scarecrow, which results in the former false facers against... The Penguins gang against the cops against Batman and the Huntress. Yep. And so, on that level, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. But again, I cannot stress enough, you could have completely ignore this story and not miss anything important.
0: Sure. Yep. I think with this, though, it is interesting to get almost an inside glimpse into the gangs through the eyes of one of the members because mm-hmm. there is a redemption. I can't remember who that guy's name is now. But, yeah,
2: there's like 15 names for those false facers, I and I, can't, I couldn't keep them straight either.
0: So there was one that left that gang and was helping out with the father because he just realized some bad stuff was going down. He's like, I can't do this, and he, I think he was thinking of his mother a lot. He would, you know, didn't want her to sort of look down on him, and then he was convinced by the scarecrow to go back because the father needed help and that was a lie and he gets beat up and things like that. But you get to see what it would be like to be a gang a gang member at this point in time as well as that it is possible, despite it being a really terrible place right now, that there are redeemable qualities in people and that you could potentially still be redeemed, which I think goes along with that religious message that they had throughout this little arc.
2: Yeah, the this arc really begins when the scarecrow notices that people are burning books but they refuse to burn the Holy Bible.
1: Right.
0: And I
2: think in his mind that's like a ooh, I can play with that. Mm. Because there there's Devin Grayson does a really great job uh in writing this story and dealing with some very complex issues and exploring them just right. She doesn't leave anything out but she also doesn't get lost in it either uh i was i was very impressed with her script because the scarecrow is a master manipulator Mm. and all throughout the story he is just playing people against each other and the only one he doesn't have any control over is the huntress Mm -hmm. who wants him out of there immediately and, of course, Father Christian's like, all men are welcomed here. And at that point, I I I, I, I just look at the story and go, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're, I, I know this is a different world, but that man is dangerous. Mm. And he has no business being here.
0: And it's so – well, it's also odd because I would say that he doesn't trust hunters as much. So this, no. there's like this weird contrast that you couldn't have predicted – where Scarecrow is trusted, but Huntress is not.
2: And then Father Christian goes through his own kind of moral ambiguity, much mm-hmm. like Gordon in the previous story, sure. is that he accepts these weapons.
0: At gunpoint. But,
2: at gunpoint. But he only does it to bring food and, right. and, and supplies to his people, yeah. the people he's taking care of. And it's only because the Scarecrow finds out about this that anything goes bad. If yeah. nobody knew... And those weapons were just there. Now, the Penguin probably would have exerted more and more control over him over mm-hmm. time. But really and truly, if the Scarecrow hadn't done anything and he had done this, those weapons would have just sat in that fallout shelter and no one would have been the wiser. That's
0: probably true. Yep. Until Penguin came a-calling.
2: Yes, and, and wanted his weapons back, which probably, again, would have ended very bloody. But yeah. I, I, I like the Penguin in this. And I kind of like Batman dealing with the Penguin because at one point the Batman threatens that he has this EMP device oh, yes. that would wipe out all of penguins you know lights and stuff and his generators and penguin he like leaves and penguin desperately grabs it and it's just this cheap timer yeah <laughs> it doesn't do anything mm-hmm. i also think it's funny that at one point batman when fighting the bad guys uses his spray paint or what looks like spray paint to uh, spray purple stuff in their face. I don't know if that's supposed to be like mace or tear gas, but to me, it looks like a spray paint.
1: Maybe you know?
0: that's what he had on his tagging instrument. Yeah, tagging that's kind
2: of what I, I got out of it is that he was just using that as a weapon. Yeah, but it's it, it's not a bad
0: story. You know, I I,
2: I I was banging on about the fact that you could take it out. Sure, this is not mentioned at all in the novel.
1: It is uh, so not, it's. No.
2: Uh, you know, a lot of what we saw in the first arc is in the novel eventually. Uh, it's not, not there at the beginning, but mm-hmm. it's there eventually.
0: So do you think that Scarecrow is more or less disposable in this story?
2: Oh, yeah. He's completely disposable. Okay. But not in a bad way. Yeah. Not, not, you know, he, he serves his function within the story. But seeing him burn his costume at the end yeah. and kind of lose his identity for a little bit, that's a good kind of arc for him. Mm. That he basically took this messianic thing as far as he could.
1: Yeah.
2: I, I do love, though, that Father Christian is total 90s priest. <laughs> he's wearing – and it's almost like he's, he's he's wearing like a white sport coat. He's got the long hair. And uh, The old guy, the guy in the wheelchair, Father Sounder, he's kind of the older – Older guard of priest, so mm. uh, and 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 Huntress is Catholic, and I think that's that's kind of essential of why she's so deferential to the priests. I think. yeah. Uh, I, I think religion plays a part in this story, but again, he doesn't get lost in it,
1: mm. uh, or she, yeah.
2: or Devin Grayson doesn't get lost in it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But I think it's important, and I, I I had to ask myself if you are cold. And you need something. Would the Bible be the thing you leave out? And for a lot of people, I think it would be.
1: Yeah.
2: And I think somebody else would just grab it and chuck it in there because they're like, no, I want to be, I want to be war, sure. just because they don't, their faith isn't as <coughs> devout yeah. as other people's. Yeah. But I, I liked this story. I just, mm-hmm. I, I see it as, I don't want to call it a placeholder. I don't want to call it as filler. Mm. Because uh, I think they were really, you know, they had a year to tell the story. They, like you said, they have a hundred books to go through. Yep. This is just four of them, so it's kind of a nice little sidestep.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think it helps develop the Huntress character to see what she is doing in No Man's Land?
2: Yes, I think it, I think I think that's uh, probably its main function. Okay. Because remember, Devin Grayson is the one that wrote the Huntress Nightwing miniseries oh that we love so much.
0: Wow, they shack up. I think it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: No, they they just they they just they they play board games all
0: day. Yeah, sure. And but then Nightwing later on says it was a mistake, but that in his own role series. But I guess they get back together again in this, <laughs> so should be interesting talking about that continuity wise. You know, I wonder if the priests potentially didn't trust her because they've heard her confessions, and whether how ethical that might be. Because I think. Uh, I think there is a mention to that about how, you know, I've heard your confessions before. And so are, are they uh, judging her, uh, her character through all of that? And that's why they don't trust her? You know, it's
2: funny that this subject comes up now because I'm, I'm having my own. Uh, I won't get into it because it's not the forum for this, but I'm having my own kind of problems with the Catholic Church right now. Oh. Uh, and how they're dealing with a uh, problem. I, th- I, I think positive steps are being taken, but I think it's way too late. Uh, and, and the subject a year ago came up of confession mm. and and what confession is. And uh, for those of you that, that, that are not familiar with Catholicism, uh, confession is a sacrament. Uh, the, the, there's basically a set of sacraments you go through through your life beginning with baptism when you're born and the next one is reconciliation and it, it serves two purposes one it uh, when you have gone to confession and confessed your sins to the priest and the priest gives you uh, a penance to serve usually it's saying prayers mm-hmm. you can then Go to the next sacrament, which is communion, where you take in, depending on the church, either the body or the body and the blood of Christ in the form of these little unleavened bread wafers that are terrible. (laughs) When my mother went to church when she was a little kid, so this is like the, 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 the 50s. Sure they told her that if she bit into it, it would bleed inside her mouth. Wow. So it used to be a lot more hardcore with the Catholic Church. Uh, <laughs> so they never told me that. I probably would have cried. But uh, but the other thing is is that with confession, you confess your sins, the priest absolves you of it, and your soul is clean and you can go to heaven. So if you, if you r- get out of confession, this is theoretical, mind you. If you get out of confession, do your penance, Walk outside, get hit by a car, and die. You've got a. You've got a, a good. You're already up. You're you're, go, you're you're going to the good place. So, but the thing is, is that to a priest, the confessional is sacred. They don't reveal. They are not supposed. Okay, let me put it this way. They're not supposed to reveal what people have told them. Right. Because there's a trust there. If priests, and this is something that comes up on Law and Order all the time if you watch old episodes of Law and Order, where a priest has heard something and they're trying to get around that confessional rule because courts will side with the priests because of the First Amendment. And they don't want to set that precedent. But also, and I and I, and I do kind of agree with this, uh, even though I'm hard on the church, is that If someone feels like they go to a priest and the priest is going to blab what they say, there's no trust there. Mm. So this priest – I say all that to say this. This priest going, I've heard your confession, that guy's a jerk. (laughs) Because he is basically suggesting to people that she's confessed things to him. And if she went to confession and he absolved her of her sins, then that's it. So I had a serious problem with that scene.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I don't know if that was too much. I apologize. No,
0: I mean, that's good to give people a sense of what, yeah, that all means. I mean, as you said, religion is very important to Helena, and so I think it's good to get some background on what Catholicism is. Uh, Yeah, and, you know, I just wonder about that, because she's trying to do the right thing here, but he's got this... I I guess he knows the stuff that she's been doing, which potentially could be murder. We do know that she's been brutal. And so he doesn't know anything personally about Scarecrow. And he's just taking it for granted that probably trust the one that he hasn't seen any bad from and and distrust the one that he he knows that to be true. But it is, I, I guess it's hard. I guess that's the human side of us where we can't separate ourselves from like what we hear, but you would think she'd get the benefit of the doubt.
2: I, I was going to say that because, you know, as much as, as I am personally hard on most organized religion in general, the reason why I'm hard on it is because it's made up of people. Mm. And people will stray, people will fall,
1: sure.
2: people will sin, and people will do terrible things. But a priest, as much as he is an agent of of God, a priest is also a person. Mm. And because of that, they're fallible. So he's not supposed to do it. He does it. It makes him a jerk. Mm. But it's also what makes him human. Yeah. So and and Father Christian, you know, know, like Father Christian basically makes a deal with the devil to protect his people. Yeah. So what happens after that? Do they trust him after that? Mm. He put their lives in danger. So it's just it, 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 it's the more you dig into this story, the more interesting it is.
0: Yep, yeah, very true. And it was hard to watch too, with Scarecrow convincing these people that they need to take up arms and go out there. And you would think, like, please think about what what this guy's saying. And and it's hard to imagine people being so swayed. But I guess. That's just people that they would be in this I, like hostile situation.
2: That's actually the most realistic thing about the story to me. <laughs> it's it's not that I have a dim view of humanity. Sure. I just you know, it's funny where my philosophies come from. Uh and, and my philosophy on people comes from Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black. Uh, he, he's like a person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, and stupid. And and what I mean by that is a person individually. Pretty pretty good. You get a group together. That's when things get weird because sociologically, we are a, a, a people that like to to form tribes. Mm. Cults are there for a reason, and the scarecrow has been basically brainwashing these people over weeks.
1: Yeah,
2: he's not just been sitting there biding his time. He's been working. Mm. And he's been working because he understands human psychology and he knows he can manipulate these people because these people are hungry, they're scared, and they just want somebody to take care of them. So what he's giving them is a boogeyman. He's giving them somebody to hate. And so he's playing on that. And when you have that powder keg of people that are in a desperate situation seeking it, seeking, uh, some way out of it or some togetherness, and then you give them an enemy on some level, they'll go, if I kill this enemy, my life will be better Mm. and things will be better. So, yeah, it's just, it was just brutal at the end that he just kept picking at them and picking at them. And Huntress is like, stop listening to him. And I, I have to say that if I was the Huntress in that situation, I would have put an arrow through his head in a heartbeat.
0: Yeah. (laughs) She shows a lot of self-control in this story. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because yeah, she's, she's trying to do it Batman's way.
0: Yeah, she sure is. Do you trust Huntress?
2: I I would um, absolutely trust Huntress. Okay. You know why? Because Huntress is honest. Mm-hmm. You know, Hunt, Huntress, if Huntress says she's going to be there, she's going to be there. And if Huntress tells you she doesn't want to do it. She's not going to do it, and 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 I and I trust that type of person. I love Helena, though. You got to understand that. I've I have loved her since I really got into the Bat books in the '90s. I think she is a fascinating character. Uh, I know there are people that loved the daughter of Catwoman and Batman uh, Huntress, and I think she's a great character too. But there are so many facets to this character. She's the daughter of a mobster who watched her family get killed by other mobsters. And that's what drives her. And she was, she was the, the harder edge to Batman when she was introduced. And the fact that they didn't get along at first was great. And her ending in this story, No Man's Land in general, is beautiful. Mm. It is just amazing. I love Helena. I'll, I'll, I'll I, I I will say I prefer her in the costume she's in in this story, as opposed to the midriff exposed costume ah, she would yes. be in two thousand three, because
1: mm-hmm.
2: that's not practical.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I I have a lot of time for Helena Bertinelli.
0: Do you agree with the uh, majority of people who say that it's it's it makes sense that Batman doesn't trust her?
2: Yes, and and I say that because I can climb into Batman's head. And Batman is very rigid. You know, we were talking about this before. Everyone's a soldier to him, and they need to do things his way, because this is a war. And in this war, you don't kill. So the fact that the Huntress is willing to go down that road, Mm -hmm. he can't trust her.
1: Okay.
0: I try to defend her, but people, uh, Don and Josh are always against me.
2: Well, I've got your back in this case. I
0: appreciate that. Uh, I think
2: I know just about as much as they do about these characters so (laughs) i I could be wrong
0: Uh, i'm
2: willing to concede that i I, you know i i i I don't like i'm not i'm never going to claim to be the expert sure but i think i can hold my own with those two
0: i always liked the fact that tim reaches out to her a lot tries to broker the peace and
2: i think that that's another thing is that tim's got a different perspective of this Mm. and also tim has worked with her yeah So it's not so you know Batman's kind of off on his own and you know he pulls in his you know his sidekicks when he wants to. That Cry for Huntress miniseries was actually really good, and I think it formed a bond between those two.
1: Mm.
2: Plus, he's a fifteen-year-old girl, and she's a he's a fifteen-year-old
1: kid. (laughs) What? I didn't know that.
2: He's a he's like a 15, 16 year old kid, true. and she's a hot hot young twenty something. So,
0: oh my gosh, you think she's a young twenty something?
2: I think she's in her like uh, like probably mid twenties.
0: Do you think maybe? Barbara's older than she is?
2: She would have to be at this point.
0: That's interesting. Okay, she's a te- She is a teacher. Yeah, I get she's, that. But I guess you could I be that. you
2: could, you could be a teacher at twenty two. Yeah, so that's true. I mean, it's not hard being a teacher, basically. Yeah. Well, no, okay, okay.
1: That was me. <laughs> try that and, again.
2: <laughs> and, and, and and to be fair, uh-huh. I just got done with back to school at my yeah. job where I try to side with the teachers and they still end up pissing me off. Oh, dear. So being a teacher is not easy. Being a teacher is probably one of the hardest jobs there is out there. And I will actually defend teacher to parents that are complaining. Uh, I'll never forget the look on this one woman's face she's like i don't understand why i have to pay for all this stuff i go well you need to pay more property taxes then oh and she just looked at me what i was like property taxes go to schools if you paid more in property taxes the schools would have more money to allocate to supplies they don't so here's your list oh. so now i'm <laughs> so i apologize God, tom's never gonna speak to me again
0: yeah well yikes yeah My final thing is just the Leslie or Leslie and Bruce moment. Uh, One of my favorite parts, I think, in this story, just hugging, hugging Leslie. I'm going to do that. Leslie, I think it's probably Leslie. My boss's name is Leslie. She prefers that one. So Leslie, you know, tells him to basically slow down, takes off his mask, and then they hug. And then there's a discussion regarding why they each stayed. And I thought that in the midst of all this stuff that was going on, that that was a very beautiful human moment to have between the two of them.
2: Yeah, I um, I like this Leslie Tompkins, and not the other one that we see later
0: that oh. does something Oh, terrible. dear. To Stephanie? Yes. I have yet to read that, actually. Isn't that funny?
2: You know, it's funny that you mentioned this, because uh, it's going to come out in a, in a couple months, because we're, we're kind of far ahead. But oh. Andy and I, on the Overlook Dark Knight, Uh, We've taken to starting the episodes with questions from listeners. Oh, sure. It's just, you know, it's like, you know, what do you think of this? And one of them was, do you prefer Leslie Tompkins as just being in There's No Hope in Crime Alley and Never Seen Again or Always Around? And uh, our answer, which I won't reveal here because tease, (laughs) uh, but our answer, my answer played heavily Uh, was heavily weighed in on because of what eventually happens. I see. Where they, I think they ruined her as a character. I'm still mad about it, and I shouldn't be.
0: Oh dear, years (laughs) later. Yeah. Well, no wonder you gave up Batman comics.
2: That was around the time I stopped collecting for a little while, so that makes perfect sense.
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, of the Fear of Faith arc, those four issues, what would you give It?
2: You know, I'm actually going to give it a slightly higher rating okay. in and of itself because I liked the art and I liked the writing. The only reason I'm giving it a 9 and not a 10 is that in the whole of No Man's Land, it doesn't
1: really
0: play a huge part. Sure.
2: But you can't have it happen outside of No Man's Land mm-hmm. at the same time.
0: Yeah. It wouldn't make sense context-wise. Yeah. And that's funny. I'm going to flip-flop and, and give it slightly lower. I'm going to say maybe, hmm, I'm going to give it an eight, I think, this, this time. I think there are some really great moments, I think, especially getting to know Huntress and what her role is in No Man's Land and, of course, that beautiful moment that I saw before, but I didn't care as much for those <laughs> maybe it was just rubbing me the wrong way. Since I'm one of those religious people that you talked about. But it was it was it was hard to read and I was like really having a problem watching it all go down. I absolutely understand why it was going down, but it was just it was hard to read. And I just wanted Scarecrow out of there and I couldn't believe that they were trusting Scarecrow but not Huntress and all that stuff. So I'll give it a slightly lower grade. Okay, well, our last section we'll call it the Asriel arc, which is really made up of a couple different stories, but they all go together and they all have Asriel. So, lead us through this last batch.
2: All righty, this um, this is what we would call ancillary no man's <laughs> land. Sure. Uh, and then this was the thing that for the long for the first like half of it. Like, most of the Bat titles were just kind of doing their own thing. Azrael was one of the few that was kind of involved from the beginning. And he got a snazzy new outfit. He sure did. Uh, in Azrael 51, hot on Nick Scratch's trail, John, Jean-Paul is struck by the limitations left years after relying on his old suit's gifts, and he's also struck by lightning. Uh, and in Asriel 52, Azrael ventures back into the no-man's land of Gotham City on a mission of mercy, freeing a young girl from the... Uh, clutches of the cannibalistic calibax and returning her to her panic stricken and slightly insane mother. Yep. But is the girl actually saved? Moripovich Povich says the results is you are not the father. Oh, no, that has nothing to do with it. Azrael 53, the Angel of Justice faces the Joker in a no man's land tie-in that shouldn't have happened. When Batman <laughs> chase ch- charges Azrael in finding and taking down Gotham's most insane threat, the clown prince of crime takes it as a grave insult. In number 54, the new serial killer named The Death Dancer, dancing for money on the loose in Gotham City, striving to relieve the suffering of those poor, unfortunate souls, yes. so sad, so true. This one wants to be thinner. That one wants to get the girl. And does he help them? Well, no, he slits their throats. That's
0: true. Well, in in a way, he's helping them.
2: (laughs) But this leads on a basically the part one of a two-part because he thinks that Barbara Gordon needs his help. Mm -hmm. So number 55, the serial killer threatens Batman's plans to save No Man's Land. Oracle faces a grisly death until her guardian angel, Asriel, steps in to stop the serial killings, serial killing Samaritan, who threatens one of the key players in Gotham's plan to salvage Gotham. Mm. Or And those, the, you know. <laughs> Hello? I'm glad I read, read these sure. because on their own they were interesting. Yep. But again, if you don't read these, you don't miss anything.
0: No, which I didn't when I read them initially with the little thin trades. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Any big moments that you would say people need to know about?
2: I enjoy Denny O'Neill continuing trying to figure out who Azrael is. Mm. <laughs> you know, when he was created, he was created to be uh, the you know the, the the replacement for Batman. Sure. Uh, and then he, they said, "Hey, maybe Denny O'Neill can write an ongoing series." And I am of the opinion that the first twenty-five issues of that series are, are great. They're, they're, they're just fantastic. But after that, he really lost his way. And I think this was an attempt to bring him back. These these are basically little human dramas in the no-man's land. Uh, the first one is basically you know how Jean-Paul got his groove back mm. essentially uh, in number 51. In number 52, uh, the most significant part of this is the fact that the mother that Asriel brings into the no man's land to save her daughter, tries to kill her daughter at one point, and then they're hugging. Because families are complicated. The Joker story just shouldn't have happened. I'm sorry, we shouldn't have even seen the Joker at this point. Uh and maybe that's the the novel version in, you know, like so stuck in my head of how that whole played out in the novel as opposed to the comics. But sending Jean-Paul to take on the Joker? What is Batman High? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was an interesting issue. Uh, but to me, I think the the two best are 54 and, and 55. Yeah. I liked this Death Dancer. I liked his background. And I love, love, loved Azriel and Barbara kind of forming this brother-sister relationship. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really sweet. Like, she was flirting with him. He didn't get it, but he's just like, I just kind of look at you as a sister. And she's cool with that. Yeah. Like, it's just, I love that kind of stuff. Though. Yeah.
0: And um, there had been little flirtations throughout his series. Whenever she would pop up, there were, you know, she would call him handsome or, or whatever. And, it would, yeah, would consistently ask if there was anyone in in his life. And I like how she tries to clarify what that means. And I think the reason why she's doing it is because she lets on that there's someone in her life now. And so I, I think she wants to take a step back and be sure that, you know, she didn't lead him on, which kind of she did, even though he didn't understand it as much. But I do like the fact that she's very adult about it and sort of wants to cover her bases. But yeah, I mean, she even... What is more intimate, potentially, than allowing him to... Push her wheelchair, which has no handles, as well as, I guess, carry her down several floors to the ground floor?
2: Yeah, Barbara's all about her independence. Yeah. So, and I don't think of of her as being submissive or anything, but it's just a trust. Like, I like you, and I trust you enough to let you do this. Yeah. You know, and, and, and just... I also think I also get the feeling that Barbara is trying to bring him out of his shell a little bit, mm. because you know Jean Paul's a messed up kid. I mean, you look at that history, and it's just like basically he was like Jason Bourne, but with a with a oh, weird religious order,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> you know. And you know he's just trying to live his life, and 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 I, I think that's one of the things that gets me through these issues is that. Jean-Paul is just trying to figure out who he is as a person Mm. and what his role is. And he has all these things in his head. I I find him to be a very sympathetic character. So when Barbara was nice to him, it made me like Barbara more. And even this, this, you know, the Samaritan, the Death Dancer, one, great visual, fantastic visual. That one cover of him doing the kick and Azrael blocking is great. And on a side note, I really like the costume Azrael has in this. Uh, I think it's an interesting update yeah. to, uh, to to what he had before. But the fact that, you know, this guy, you know, it's like almost an episode of Criminal Minds where they're like, well, you know, obviously he had something in his background that makes him want to do this. And the fact that there was a moment at the end of issue 54 when he goes, she seems sad. I need to make her happy. I'm just like, oh, God, he's going after Barbara. Yeah. I was
0: also <laughs> and I'm like, OK, about that
2: i was like okay denny you got me Mm. (laughs) i should have seen through that but i got emotionally involved
0: it was scary i mean there she is you know i I just (laughs) love
2: sorry i hate to interrupt you you. i just love that when he attacked her though she wasn't having any of it Uh, of
0: course not (laughs) yeah (laughs) she's been training with her uh sticks and everything
2: richard dragon yep i read that chronicles issue
0: oh yes so good (laughs) Yeah, with the, uh, do you remember, uh, let's, oh, then Road to No Man's Land. When was the last time you have read the lead up to this story?
2: Ooh, like 15 years ago.
0: Okay, yeah, so just as a refresher, Batman sent Asriel off to protect this politician. The politician ended up getting killed by Nick Scratch, and Batman totally destroyed Azrael and said you are off the team and so the suggestion of the new costume I think if I remember correctly comes from Barbara but it's basically to disavow this old Azriel and take on this new getup but this Nick Scratch is very much connected with Azrael's history so I'm glad that he keeps popping up and a big thing to know is that Nick Scratch is now back in no man's land I don't remember if anything big happens with him but I'll be looking forward to that but So, going back to the fact that Batman has, I mean, he doesn't trust him, leading up to this story, now that you have been told this again, you know, to to remind you, do you think, I don't know, is this weird that Batman is trusting him again, even though he uh, took him off the team before?
2: No, I think Batman's using anybody he can at this point. so it's all Um, able bodies. Yeah, it's just you know, it's 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 funny. You you told me all of that. Yeah, and I still don't remember a single thing about Road No Man's Land.
0: That's okay. <laughs> I only re- I recently read it, so that's why it's fresher in my uh, mind. I, I read the whole thing. I
2: I, I remember that cover of Mister Wayne goes to Washington. Oh yeah. Before the Senate. Yeah. But if you ask me, if you put a gun to my head right now and say, "What happened in that story?" I'd be like, "They failed."
0: Yeah, it's true. Well, that would be a good answer. I think you'd live. Well, I
2: appreciate it uh,
0: yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, Nick Scratch, I, I, I had no idea when I was reading Road to No Man's Land that he played such a big part that he's basically all, the reason why they blew up the bridges because he was saying that it's a lost cause, you shouldn't divert any of the FEMA funds, even though it's not FEMA, You know, to Gotham City, it, it's just destroyed. And so he's one of those big people, so I'm glad to see him back. I can't remember what sort of role he plays, but that's good. It's like I'm reading this for the first time.
2: Though I will say this: uh, as we, uh, you know, as as I was reading the the first issue, the first two issues of this, and watching them get into Gotham, I'm like, that seems a lot easier than it, they were I making agree. it out to be. I agree. <laughs> Cause basically they just rode a car into onto a ship mm. and the ship was just able to go across the Harbor. No problem. Mm. No national guard. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I liked the art in this too. I, I think, uh, Derek Robertson or Robinson. I, I forget which one it is. I think he's got a good clean style and Denny O'Neill, really doesn't miss a beat writing wise i mean his joker issue as much as i'm like this shouldn't be here i don't think this should be here i think the joker would not be doing this right now Uh, on the other hand it's a really good joker issue (laughs) Mm. i love his characterization of the joker uh so and and that trap that he puts that kid in and, and, and that's actually a good Batman-Asriel moment, because Asriel takes way too long figuring it out, and the Joker gets away, and Batman's like, you saved the kid. That was the important thing. They're like, good on you, Batman.
0: Yeah. Jerk. Oh, yeah, but I agree with you what you said about the Joker, that he's just so big, a bad, that it seems strange to send a second stringer to go and get him, even though I do like Asriel. But what we both agree on absolutely also is the, uh, the Good Samaritan here or the, the what, does, what else is it? the uh, death dancer? Yeah, well, I, I've said something controversial when you were reading your thing, but do you think he is actually helping people? Could you potentially be on his side or do you think he's just evil through and through?
2: I think the danger of him, is that he is deciding when people need his help? People mm-hmm. are not asking for his help. That is true. You know, if if we want to get into a discussion on euthanasia, <gasps> Doctor Kavorkian. Uh, uh, well, and just the right to die, and 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 because because here's the thing, Doctor Kavorkian never technically killed anybody. He facilitated people to commit suicide. Mm. And the reason that is, is that if, okay, so let's get really dark for a second. Okay. I've got a disease that is either, is going to do something to me. It's either going to kill me or it's going to incapacitate me. These are
0: hypothetical things, right?
2: These are, these are very hypothetical things. And I ask you to help me die. If you help me do it myself, I have made that decision, right? If you do it then you have taken that decision out of my hands. Mm. Because what if at the last moment I change my mind, but you've already done it and I'm dead. So that's the sticky part of the right to die and euthanasia and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah.
2: Is that he is making the decision. It's He, he sees people, like he sees Barbara. Yeah. And she sat, oh, look at her. She's in a wheelchair. She's in the no man's land. She's never going to make it. I'm going to help her. But she doesn't need help. (laughs) So I don't think he's helping people at all. I think he's a killer.
0: Okay. (laughs) Yeah, and even that little kid, right, didn't want that to happen. I don't know. But there was someone else that was actually thankful, weren't they? Or am I wrong?
2: Uh, I think some people were probably thankful. If I'm correctly, there was one person. But at the end of the day, I I, I think if you become that type of person, the chances of you – Losing perspective get greater with every person you help die.
1: Yeah. <sighs>
2: I got really deep there. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no.
0: Well, don't apologize for being deep. That was good to give us a different perspective on things. And that's why I asked the question. Absolutely. Because I was just thinking about him. I mean, that they call him in the synopsis of Samaritan, right? And yeah. And the biblical implications of that. So, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well... Any other thoughts on this final batch of comics? I think it was
2: a very strong beginning to the No Man's Land as a story. Mm. Uh, even though I am not going to be on the next four parts, I, I'm like eh, maybe I'll you know dig out the you know get, get, get the <clears throat> excuse me the heart the trade paperbacks off the shelf and sure. go through everything with you just to see. Uh, because I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, I, I, I kind of binge-listened to the uh, the graphic audio version right. of yep. Greg Rucka's novel. And now it's just like, well, let me read the comics again so I can do the compare and contrast thing. Because there are things he completely leaves out and there are things he glosses over mm. uh, just in terms to keep the narrative because it is a novel and not like a series of novels. Sure. So, yep.
0: Well, your BFF will be on next, so...
2: Uh, yeah, Tom.
0: You're trying to make it up to him since you insulted his profession.
2: Yes. Well, your profession too. (laughs) And the profession of like so many other podcasters I know.
0: Which is interesting. I guess – why is that? We need an outlet? We need to talk Um, to people?
2: I I, I think when you think of what podcasting is, it's communicating with people. Sure. it's, It's teaching in a way. Yeah. Uh, cause you're giving an opinion and so not everybody knows as much as you do. Mm. Uh, and I, 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 I think you're all closet <laughs> radio show host wannabes.
0: Oh,
2: that is no, great. that's a, that was a joke. Uh, uh, was a serious joke. I love
1: you.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. As a, you know, Don't pill- be mad. Yeah, yeah. Last time you're on the show, peel back the curtain. I, yeah, tonight was my back to school night, so I, you know, had a a long day, long day, giving presentations and things to to parents and trying to sell Latin.
2: So, and to, to, tonight and today at work, I returned a bunch of school supplies. People didn't need. Oh, man.
0: <laughs> oh well. What would you give this Azriel group of comics?
2: Uh, I'm gonna give it an eight. Um. Taking down one for the Joker story and one because it's not necessarily part of – it's not a necessary part of the overall story, but it's a good read nonetheless.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I was still engaged. It was still very interesting. I think an eight seems fair. I especially like Nick Scratch still playing a part. And, of course, the Barbara Gordon, them finally meeting instead of having this phone relationship was also great. Well, two final questions for you before you depart. Number one, how does No Man's Land as a whole rank for you in terms of a Batman story? And if you want to, you can always compare it to other ones. Like, you know, I like Contagion more, things like that. If you think of it in terms of events, how does it rank for you?
2: I think it ranks right behind Nightfall. Okay. Uh, I would put it at number two, with Nightfall being number one. Uh, and I really consider them kind of the alpha and omega of Batman events uh, for the 90s, especially. Mm. Uh, I, I think, you know, Contagion was fun because it was kind of like a horror movie.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, Legacy was, you know, just an excuse to have the, the rematch between Bane and Batman that people have been mm. expecting. Uh, Cataclysm was a disaster film and, and interesting in its own way. Uh, and the stuff that came later, I mean, I, I'm a fan of Batman Murderer or Bruce Wayne Murderer or Bruce Wayne Fugitive.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, I, I have absolutely zero time for war games. And <sighs> Officer Down was like the first crossover after this, and that was just basically getting Jim Gordon off the table. Mm. Uh, but I think in terms of No Man's Land, No Man's Land had a point. It had a purpose. And it, it, it put Batman – it advanced Batman as a character. Uh, now, they, within five years, completely regressed that character uh, and put him back to where he was before No Man's Land. Uh, but at the same time, I think they, they really did a, a good job of, of, of creating an event that, that made you want to pay attention. Uh, so I, I would definitely rank it as number two after Nightfall.
0: I think that Shag told me you really like Joker's Last Laugh. Is that a lie?
2: (sighs) Joker's Last Laugh. That was 2001.
0: Because it's coming from him and he tricked me before, I assumed it was a lie. But then he also told me that Amazon's attack or something. You also like that? (sighs) (laughs) Why
1: do you keep sighing?
2: Because he's lying. Okay. (sighs) <sighs> Amazon's attack is terrible okay. on just about every level. Okay. So,
0: so he was trying to trick me.
2: Yeah, he's trying to trick you.
0: Okay, it only uh, happens just, once.
2: Ba- basically, this is what you need to do. Sure. If, if, if the moment Shag says, "You know, Mike likes that," immediately message me on your phone. <laughs> Don't tell him you're doing it. Okay,
1: <sighs>
2: just immediately message me on my phone. Joker's last laugh was a noble failure. Okay. Uh, I will, and Joker's last Life isn't a Batman crossover. That's a DC universe crossover. Oh, so it's, okay. it's kind of different. Uh, Joker's last laugh also suffered because it came like literally a month after our worlds at war ended. Mm. So you go from one crossover right into another one. Now that one all took place in one month. Uh, cause it was a weekly, uh, mini series. Uh, and it was supposed to do something that at the end they said, ah, we're not going to do that anymore. Because oh. the Joker, if I remember correctly, like the Joker actually of- was, yeah, it's, it, well, the Joker was supposed to die at the end of it. Oh. And Nightwing was supposed to kill him.
0: That would have been amazing.
2: Uh, but they're like, no, 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 no. But that also introduced the Supermax idea uh, where there's like this prison where all of the really bad ones are held. So am I saying that I would come on and discuss Joker's last laugh with you, absolutely. But remember, yes, Shag says Mike likes this, mm. and you get your and your 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 spider sense tingles yep. immediately. Message me, okay, and then you can say live on air. Mike just called you a liar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, okay, sounds good, man. So, there you. go. Yeah, he tricked me with Millennium, wasn't it?
2: Uh, I think it was Genesis.
0: Oh, that's right, it was Genesis. Yeah. Oh yes, I haven't read Millennium. I just know about it. Oh boy. Okay. Well, let's not let's not uh, dwell on sad and painful things. The final question is, of course, where people can find you to support you and listen to your wonderful shows.
2: Uh, fortressofbailey dot com. Uh, it's it's the one stop shop for all things Michael Bailey podcasting, uh, uh, except for guest appearances and such. You can find. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, the Overlooked Dark Knight, uh, back episodes of all my other shows. Uh, it's all pretty much there, uh, available at FortressOfBailey2.com. And if I planned everything right, I will as soon as we're done recording, I will send you the trailer that I did with, uh, with Shay, oddly enough, so, for the Fortress Network in general.
1: Mm. So.
0: Okay. Well, as always, it is an extreme pleasure to talk to you, and it's, yeah, it's fun to get your perspective on things, especially since you were reading comics at the time and I was a slow (laughs) starter, so that's always great, and of course, I am so indebted to you because uh, you're one of the reasons why I started Backworld Oracle in general, and you're one of the reasons why, yeah, actually, you are the reason why I read No Man's Land, so I owe a great deal to you.
2: I appreciate that. I think you were also 13 when this came out. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I was more—I was more into going to the back issue bins and picking out covers of Spider-Man that I thought were interesting and reading <laughs> stories based on that.
2: Yeah, this—this this, uh, No Man's Land would—I I really would love to talk to the person that started reading Batman with No Man's Ooh, Land because yeah. that must have been like, wow, you love jumping into the deep end, don't yeah. you?
0: Well, that happened to me though. With Diving into Infinite Crisis and Civil War, and that was like my gateway back into it. So, I wonder if I think Infinite Crisis might be worse, but yeah, whew, with No Man's Land, yeah, you're missing the whole backstory to Mm -hmm. why it's even like that. So, oh man. Okay. But
2: thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. Anytime. You know, anytime you ask, I, I, anytime really, truly, you know, if anybody's like, "Hey, you want to be on the show?" I'm I'm touched because it's just like, "Wow, someone wants to hear my opinion on something," (laughs) Uh, and I'm the youngest, so you know, historically, that's not really the Uh, (laughs) the case. Uh, But also because it's you, I've got all the time in the world for you,
0: Steve. Oh, thank you. You're you're a kind man. And, and anybody's
2: you know, got a problem with you, they got a problem
0: with me. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I'll send all those parents your way. I will say that we made podcasting history because no dog interrupted us.
2: Yes. Uh, things have changed at the Fortress a little bit. Uh, the dogs are not quite in the room anymore. Yeah. Uh, they are probably very angrily napping in the other room right now because they hate uh, that they can't sit with me anymore, but um, my god, just having 20 pounds of dog in my lap sure. while I'm recording—I yeah. mean, now I can actually sit closer to the microphone.
0: Yep. Now you know what Santa feels like.
2: Santa has 20 pound dog sitting in his lap. <laughs> no,
1: maybe that's maybe that Santa's training. Maybe that's Santa's lap.
0: training
2: during the year though. Oh, maybe. Like he's he's listening to Eye of the Tiger
0: to beef it up. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so. I just
0: I just thought of your wife. Didn't she? Um, as a connection to death of superman didn't she always wonder about that girlfriend the mermaid <laughs> and then remember it was she wasn't she mentioned lori wasn't yes, she mentioned she at was. that <laughs> i thought She's, i laughed when that was mentioned in that film
2: and in and pocket was less than uh less than modern in his i've always wondered about pete ross comments but for for those that don't know what stella is talking about if you go to uh 2013 episode of uh, Views from the Long Box. Uh, it was the moment that I realized that things that are perfectly natural to me are insane to regular people. Yeah. So when I mentioned, uh, we were talking about the love of Superman's life, and I was like, "Well, there was Lori Lamars the mermaid," and she was like, "Wait, what? Are you punking me, seriously?" And and that was the moment that I realized that a mermaid girlfriend. Sounded perfectly normal to me, sure. and to her was just like, "What are you talking about?"
0: I think that moment, still for you, but involving me, would have been the super ventriloquism that I learned about that other time <laughs> that you were on. I just thought, "What sort of sick idea is this? How does it even make sense?" Oh man, you
2: are not the only one that I have mentioned super ventriloquism oh, my to. Uh, Rebecca Johnson also had a very oh. similar reaction to like what does that even mean
0: absolutely so okay well thanks again and until next time it'll be uh yeah i don't know what it'll be i'll have to force you on for war games or something oh but yeah always a pleasure
2: thank you stella
0: now it's time for some listener email
2: mail time
4: Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to
0: whale. I have a couple comments on past episodes, like way in the past, and an email. The first comment is from episode 153 which was the 7th Shipper special, and this is from Fat Albus, which is great, just came across this. I must say it was simply lovely hearing you both talk Spider-Man again. I didn't expect to be name-dropped, though. For the record, I have never ever claimed Peter and MJ ever did anything intimate in ASM number 122. In fact, with the kindness of respect to Stella, I think she might have misremembered that conversation of Crawl Space because, if I recall correctly, it actually was discussing if Peter and Mary Jane slept together in ASM 149, not 122. In fairness, both scenes are from Jerry Conway issues in which we get epilogue pages with just the two characters in an apartment, so this might be the cause for the mix-up. I like both of your choices a lot, by the way. I would have added in the scene of Spidey and Black Cat's first kiss from Speck Spidey episode 10, as well as the scene of Peter crawling out of the grave in Craven's last hunt, though MJ isn't in that scene herself. He is thinking about her. To be honest, there are just too many to choose from, even if you just keep to 616 comics. In regards to how big of a deal people should put stock by the Spider-Marriage, I agree that the worth of the series and most stories doesn't begin and end with how much it does or doesn't ship Peter and Mary Jane. I think most Spider-Man fans love the character and series for bigger reasons than that, but a lot of them, myself included, see that relationship as an important part of the mythology, just as Norman Osborn being the big bad or Aunt May is. I certainly don't need to see the character in every story to regard it as good, but because the character, along with all the Marvel pantheon basically, is supposed to develop or at least be the sum of his experiences, it is a case of at this point, Spider-Man should be married to MJ as part of the inherent status quo of the book in much the same way Norman Osborn and Aunt May should know he is Spider-Man at this point, and the omissions of those elements are reductive to the series in major ways. They aren't the be-all and end-all, but they are big aspects of it, sort of like if you did Superman without Lois Lane, or the the X-Men without some kind of version of Wolverine. Or if you switch it to anime, (laughs) doing modern Dragon Ball without Vegeta. Isn't that his name? Vegeta? 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 Ah, I can't remember that old guy. It's just how the series has evolved. They don't need to be in everything, but they need to be part of the status quo, all the same, if you get me. Well, thanks, Fat Albus. I admit, I'm actually not sure... Who you are? I can't remember who we name dropped. I mean, besides Brad Douglas, I don't know if you're Brad Douglas though. So it's I don't know. I just don't. uh, This is one of my issues: is that once I record, I don't remember a lot of what I sort of spilled out. It's just everything comes out, and it's there. It's left my brain at that point. But no. In any case, Fat Albus. Thank you so much for writing in and all your comments about Spider-Man. The email I got was from Michael Ridge. He says, Salway, Stella. Ole is pronounced to rhyme with holy. Oh, ole. Okay. Ole is pronounced to rhyme with holy and is considered a common Scandinavian nickname for Olaf as well as a name on its own. Minnesota's real most famous real... Oli is probably Oli Rolvag. Oli Rolvag. He gives me some phonetic pronunciations here. Who wrote fictional accounts of Norwegian immigrants to the northern Great Plains? The most famous Oli is the one who appears in both Oli and Sven and Oli and Lena jokes. Pretty much any kind of joke about a naive country pair works. The doctor tells Oli, "'Your heart is worn out. "'I don't think you'll last more than a day or two. Oli says, "'Oh, doctor, I don't know how to tell Lena. "'Can you talk to her so that she can be prepared?' "'Sure, Oli. "'I'll talk to her on my way out. "'You rest a little, "'and I'll tell Lena to let you sleep for an hour.'" When he wakes up, Oli smells brownies baking and thinks, "'Oh, that Lena. "'She knows just what I like.'" Lena comes in a minute later, bring him, bringing him a cup of coffee. "'Why didn't you bring me a brownie with this coffee?' Don't be don't be silly, Oli. The brownies are for the wake. I'm glad you're back. <laughs> wow, what a what a terrible joke there. I'm glad you're back from Kenya unbitten, Michael Ridge. Thanks, Michael, for number 1 that joke, number 2 the pronunciation and number 3 of course your well wishes that I made it back from Kenya. <laughs> yes, unbitten. Besides, I get I think I was bitten. Once or twice by some sort of flying species but because we were in higher elevation I don't think it was a mosquito we actually didn't sleep with mosquito nets in Nyeri, but we did in Nairobi which was interesting but luckily I was taking my malarone or whatever to prevent any Possibility of malaria. But in any case, yes, I am in fact back. Thank you so much for the comments. Remember, you can always leave them on the website. They pop up. Uh, Either I'll get a little notification that I got it, or Dustin's been really nice and sending them to me as well. Or you can email me backworldoracle at gmail.com. Okay. Well, when I come back, Michael's gone. He's out of the picture. I'm going to discuss Batman's wedding. Because I'm a shipper, of course. And oddly, Nightwing number, issues numbers, issues number, that's interesting. Issue numbers, okay. I'm going to discuss Nightwing, issues number 44 through 46. But first, Zias' radio hour, featuring Dead Mouse, Ghosts and Stuff, featuring Rob Swire. <laughs>
1: Started with you, I feel alone, feel at home, feel like nothing is true. She took me to a place where my senses gave way, turning round, shutting down, off the beaten path, climbing up, killing time, let 'em give you some, take my hand and let it come, let it come, let it. Come. Take it back when she knows that you're doing it right, cause everybody else knows what they're taking tonight. Keep the line on my
3: own
1: Lift me up to the stars, we are coming home I only got a chance, but we're out of time We get sold in the cold, physical design Set me free, set me out of the run Lift me up to the sun, to the sun, to the We're gonna die, we're gonna Yeah.
0: Welcome back. Sorry about that weird confusion about the (laughs) Nightwing, how to grammatically do that. It's funny because I love to correct people when they say cul-de-sacs because it's actually cul-de-sac. And then there's also, I think there's just some stuff you have to think about because it's not sister-in-laws, but sisters-in-law. So I was thinking about the issue and whatever. But I do want to talk a little bit about the Batman wedding, which occurred in issue number 50 because i've you know been on sabbatical from the batman universe when it came out and i've not really discussed it i think with anyone i I was spoiled as to what happened by let me think of who did that i think maybe it was josh bertoni but i wasn't upset with it because it had been i mean it was like san diego comic-con i think he must have asked you know did you did you read it? And I said no. And he said, well, they, they didn't get married. So I, I at least emotionally was prepared for what didn't happen. I feel like it, it. a lot of it came down to the fact that Catwoman feels like she needs to make some sort of heroic sacrifice to keep in line with Batman and almost, I, I don't know if prove her worth to him, but I think she has been so influenced by him that that might be in the back of her mind. But It's also one that she knows she needs to make in order to keep Batman on the street because I think she realizes how important he is. And this, unfortunately, I feel like comes from her interactions a little bit with Holly. I think with who else was she interacting with? Was it Riddler? I know definitely, you know, the Joker in that weird little church scene, which felt like I missed an issue because it looked like she was bleeding out and about to die and who knows where the joker was at the end of that i think that was 49 but anyways you know it i feel like it didn't come of her own volition necessarily i think a lot of it is when you're influenced by people around you and and even if they make some sort of slight comment is in the back of your mind and you're you're stewing a little bit on this which i feel like i may have accidentally done to someone (laughs) recently actually and i was doing it out of care and concern but I had to double back and and try to almost get that thought out by like transitioning and be like, oh, but you know, that person's crazy. Don't don't worry about it. I think it's yeah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I had to do that sort of thing and then move on to more pleasant things. But I think she was almost wrongfully influence and i wonder if she had not had those interactions with joker with holly would she have come to that decision on her own but back to the sacrifice i I think you know the only sacrifice she feels is worthy is her love and her heart and so she gives up the marriage whether the whole idea or just the action at the time i can't say but very unfortunate and and disappointing because you know of all the things you have to sacrifice your love and, and i can see some situations in real life that this would happen and you would laud that person but it's it's just sad here quite honestly you know especially with the build-up i had such hopes that it would happen and i think it could absolutely work as we've seen issues leading up to this where They've gone on missions together or issues where he leaves her sleeping in bed and he goes on his own missions. And so it very much seemed like a tenable relationship and and it could happen. You know, she's also a capable woman. She can take care of herself. So the danger factor is lower and the longevity factor is higher. And I just felt like there were a couple years worth of stories here that I think have been killed potentially before their time. You know, Catwoman has her own book now. So I hope the story isn't over and this is not ignored And they're still my favorite Batman couple in a sense of whom I believe Batman should be with. But just sad that this didn't happen. And it's interesting, the last pages, you know, just of her leaping off and and he realizes very quickly when she's not coming. Or I guess maybe, I can't remember how long he waits, but, and he just goes, you know, there's not even a thought. And I I wonder what goes through his brain as Bruce Wayne is Batman of why isn't she there and, and things like that. So I'm disappointed, yes. Do I think Tom King deserved death threats, and which then led to the unfortunate need for him to have bodyguards at San Diego Comic-Con? Absolutely not. You know, when you get down to this fictional storytelling, I've been upset by fictional storytelling also. Something most recent, you know, coming to mind is on Pretty Little Liars. Uh, I've talked about this before, but my OTP for Emily was Paige, and it always seemed to go back to that and the and, and even in the final season there was that they were there together but people were making a big deal of her and allison and that's what how it ended up and so that actually made me really upset and if i ever see it in a shipper video I, I get really disgusted and turn the shipper video off. So, you know, just to say that uh, I get upset too, but I, I'm not going to go out and threaten someone because of the storytelling. You know, he has the complete control over what direction he feels like it should go. And, and I think that as human beings and as people that are made in the image of God, we should probably not be, Not I shouldn't even say probably, we should not be threatened. other people just because of a fictional storytelling so so there's batman wedding i will say that it was put together really well with lots of full page not really splashes but almost covers that were created by past present uh, potentially future artists and creators and so those were those were pretty cool but it's also interesting because they wrote letters together and that was the narration. And I'm glad that they reflected back to, cause I, I can't remember who said it before. It might've been Batman. It might've been, I, pff, I don't know, but that person say, you know, it's been a while since I've, Written him or her a letter and even reflects back, you know, the last time I did this was when whatever she was on trial or that stuff was happening and and Bane and all that. So it's good that they remembered the continuity. And yeah, the letters are always interesting in in how they overlap and how there are stark differences between them. So I, you know, I suggest reading it. Sorry if I spoiled it, but you know, certainly come up with, with thoughts. And, and send them my way. Just were you disappointed? I think, I guess that's this will be the question for the episode. Were you disappointed that they did not get married? What are your thoughts on it? Did you enjoy the issue? But what I want to spend, I guess, more of my time, I guess it'll actually be a little weird switcheroo, right? Because in the vintage stuff, I usually do summaries and then just briefly talk how is Babs coming into play. But I do want to talk about the recent Nightwing arc that came out which goes from 44 to 46. Actually that's incorrect. It goes from 44 to 47. I was thinking it was a four page. So I lied to you in that little intro there. But I just instead of summarizing or, you know, giving plot details i'm just going to give you what dc said in its solicitations so the writer for the whole thing is benjamin percy and the artist for the most part is christopher mooneyham in nightwing 44 it's the bleeding edge part one changes on the horizon when a new technologist sets his sights on Boodhaven, creating a holographic interconnected city where everyone is an individual and also part of a larger network it's the internet made physical gentrification on a gigabyte laced steroids but when this new utopia encroaches on his turf nightwing starts to uncover a sinister plot based not on revenge but on a reckoning the Bleeding Edge begins here, setting Dick Grayson on a path to clarify the ideals at his very core, his sense of home and identity. Then in 45, Nightwing investigates a string of murders that at first seemed disconnected. But when signs start to point to the digital underworld, the mean streets of Bloodhaven begin to transform. So how does a hero like Dick Grayson, used to using his fist to solve problems, stop a villain he can't get his hands on? Especially when Bloodhaven isn't the only thing compromised by a tech implant in this new smart city initiative. So is Nightwing's mind. Nightwing 46, a new high-tech corporation setting up shop in Bluehaven, claims to be the cure for what ails the crumbling city. But Nightwing learns it's a very hostile takeover when he runs afoul of their metahuman operative, a digital phantom impervious to physical attack. Luckily, Nightwing has his very own IT backup, Backroll. But can the two work together after their meeting in Backgirl number 25? Also in stores this month. Just to note so that was the July issue, Nightwing 46. Backworld 25 was delayed to August, so I don't know how it will or has impacted Nightwing. And then finally, Nightwing 47. Dick Grayson may want to consider a new career in cybersecurity because the major tech upgrades coming to Bluehaven mean deadly danger for everyone in the city. Nightwing battles the mysterious tech mogul Willem Cloak, who it turns out is just a front man for the real threat, the organization known only as the Dark Web. Time to change those passwords, Bluehaven. Okay, so there's the publisher summary for all of those. And I did want to at least note that in 45 Nightwing 45, if you pay attention to the cover, you will notice that the logo colors change to reflect Baccarol's appearance. And that's mainly why I'm talking about these issues today is because Barbara Gordon, Batgirl slash Oracle, does in fact make appearances throughout this little arc. Overall, I really liked the art and the story of this arc. It just really reminded me of classic 90s Nightwing. I don't know, just the the whole feel of it, the look of it, the story itself, and just how it was plotted. Just classic Chuck Dixon stuff. I think it also represents a greater theme of technology, the good and bad uses of it, and of course, human interaction. We get to see both sides of the argument in almost Dick versus Babs, right? One who likes being connected to the world personally, which is Dick, and one who doesn't necessarily eschew human interaction, but certainly has a gift with technology and loves it. We also see major shipping with Dick and Babs here. Uh, some of it is classic with Dick asking tech advice from Babs at the very beginning. Some of it is a little weird. And this is something that Chris mentioned in his previous Batman Adventures his, his segment within the segment with the, with the Nightwing there and I was listening to it and I thought what is he talking about? And so of course I have read it now, but we've got Dick waking up to what turns out to be A digital hallucination of Babs, and it makes it seem like there's been a drunken night with sex implied. Dick is late meeting a client, but he walks out of this situation with Babs instead of talking with her, which is a little bit familiar if you think about, what is it, Nightwing Annual number 2. But it's also the question of what these two mean to each other that's flowing throughout these four issues. Now, Don recently asked me if I thought DC was trying to get these two together again, and I said I had no idea, because it it seems like it's constantly a will-they-won't-they situation. Here we see that at least Percy, and the editor, if it was allowed, of course, believes that there is something special between the two, especially since Dick, number one, is having the hallucination in the first place with her in it since the tech was hooked to his brain so subconsciously there's something there that means something and number two the fact that he admits that she comes pretty close to what some people would consider a soulmate whether or not he believes in such a thing. There's obviously a deep connection between the two of them. You know, even if you're a Dick and Corey fan, I think you cannot ignore that. Just like, even though I'm a Dick and Baz fan, I do recognize that there is history and there's something special between Dick and Corey. I feel like they have worked better in this arc than they have for a couple of years and whether that turns into something serious or it's just teasing the readership is is just beyond me because you know it's it's something like the batman catwoman situation that i don't need it to be for a couple arcs or a big T's and then it falls apart i would like it to be consistent and have some legs with it have some longevity and see where we go from there I should also mention that there are some small interactions between the two in the prologue to the wedding issues, where at the end of Babs's, which I think was Batgirl versus Riddler, it ends with her asking Dick to have coffee. Overall, I really recommend this arc. I thought it was really well done. It has similarities to some of the, the mental and tech issues that Batgirl has run up against lately, which, if this were to happen in her book i would say oh my gosh not again but at least it's a different one and it brings her in there so there's some some sharing there and of course the shipping and it just begs i think a deeper question of where do these two characters go from here but there you go what's going on in nightwing Now over to Chris for his Batman Adventures review.
4: Ah, that's like finding the variant cover you wanted still on the shelf at your local comic shop and one last fun comic-related hurrah before the school year starts. Am I right, Stella? Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, Batfans. Welcome to the Batman 66 Batman Adventures review segment. Thank you for downloading, and as always, thank you for not fast-forwarding. My name is Chris, and I am very glad to be with you. So I asked for votes on what to cover with the return of a Batman 66 miniseries while covering the Batman Adventures title. And while I didn't get a lot of votes, at the time of this recording the votes were dead even and right down the middle evenly split. Deadlocked at a tie. <laughs> so let's get to it and take a quick look at both. First up, Archie meets Batman 66 number one. Story by Jeff Parker and Michael Morrissey, Pencils by Dan Parent. Inks by Jay Bone. Cover by Michael and Laura Allred. With varying covers by Derek Charm. Francesco Francavilla. Sandy Gerald with Kelly Fitzpatrick, Dan Parent with Jay Bone, and Rosario Tito Pena and Ty Templeton. Our story is entitled The Batman of Riverdale. At the 1966 World Science Fair in Gotham City, Poison Ivy and the Bookworm strike, with Bookworm after an electronic book. The terrific trio of Batman, Robin, and Batgirl show up and manage to capture Poison Ivy, but the Bookworm gets away. At the United Underworld Headquarters... Catwoman, Joker, Riddler, and the Penguin plot to strike at Riverdale and target their richer citizens. The Penguin has recruited the siren, and we smash cut to Riverdale and Hiram Lodge, Veronica's father, already under her spell. Veronica notices something off with her father and tells Archie and the gang about her concern, but they dismiss her. Veronica goes to the local police, but the desk officer appears to already be under the siren's spell. Veronica then goes to science-smart Dilton Doily, and by radio, he manages to reach the Batcave, and Veronica implores to the heroes for their help. To be continued. Wow, I've missed this incarnation of Batman, and I am so glad we got some new Batman 66 stories. This series should not be confused with, nor is connected to the recent Harley and Ivy Me, Betty and Veronica miniseries. I thought the artwork was great, with fine depictions of all the respective characters and Archie and the gang. Especially Veronica, wearing outfits and dresses reflective of the time. When there have been Batman 66, six-issue limited series in the past, I sometimes gripe that some of those stories dragged on a bit and could have possibly been told in four issues. Here I think we're off to a great start. Good, fast-paced storytelling with a lot more character appearances and pleasant surprises. I'm going to give Archie Meets Batman 66, number one, a healthy eight and a half bats out of ten. Over on the TBU website, Dan Traczynski gave this 4 out of 5 bats. Next up, Batman Adventures number 8. Our story is entitled, Larceny, My Sweet. Written by Kelly Puckett, pencils by Mike Parabic, inks by Rich Burchett, and colors by Rick Taylor. Act 1. Break the Bank. Gotham City has been plagued by robberies that the media have dubbed the work from The Invisible Man. A hulking man breaks into a bank and begins to loot it. An alarm goes off, and Batman and Summer Gleason in a news truck with her cameraman both head to the site. Batman breaks into the bank through a window, but the figure punches Batman so hard he sends him flying into filing cabinets, knocking the Cape Crusader unconscious. Summer and her cameraman arrive, and Summer stakes out the alley in the rear. She's chased by thugs, and bumps into a blonde-haired suited man and pleads for his help. The man obliges and pummels her would-be attackers. The man and Summer look in each other's eyes amid valentine-drawn effects. The man retreats, and a rose boutonniere drops from his suit which Summer retrieves. Act Two: Love's Lost Labor While Batman unsuccessfully tries to identify the invisible man suspect, Summer pines for her new love at her desk. The hulking figure strikes at another bank, and while Batman confronts him again, the massive man gets away. But Batman manages to put a tracker on him. Later, Summer gets a call from her new love, asking her to dinner. Act Three: Beauty and the Beast Summer's new beau waits at a restaurant and he is suddenly lassoed by Batman and pulled outside. Batman reveals he has deduced the man is Clayface, and the villain reveals his gloppy form and the two fight. Summer passes by and shrieks upon seeing Clayface. Batman uses a sonar device to subdue the villain. Summer asks Batman if he's seen the handsome blonde man, but Batman says the man she described was never there. The End I think this story did a better job than the previous issue of showing the softer side of a Batman villain. Summer Gleason's inclusion was a nice touch. I like the artwork, great fight scenes, and facial expressions, especially with Summer. Interesting side note, it's depicted that the station Summer works for is WGBS. Who superfans know, that was the TV station that Clark Kent was a TV reporter for back in the day. This was a good story, a solid story, and I'm giving this 8.5 out of 10 bats. Now for everyone's favorite segment within a segment, Nightwatch, where I take a quick look at the happenings in the Nightwing title from a shipper perspective. At the time of this recording, Nightwing number 47 is the current issue. The title is The Bleeding Edge Finale. Writer Benjamin Percy, art by Chris Mooneyham. We have tech-created bad guys. We have Russian mob women. We have Batgirl and Nightwing working together. We don't have a scene as steamy as the last issue when Batgirl knocked Dick out and dressed him in his Nightwing costume, But we have great teamwork and chemistry with Batgirl and Nightwing, and how welcome and refreshing is that in and of itself. There are even a couple of scenes where Batgirl really saves Nightwing from some peril here as well. Oddly, this story bills itself as the quote finale, but it does end on something of a quote to be continued moment. So hopefully we haven't seen the last of Batgirl in this title. So, uh, with this issue, I'm going to give a standard and mild shipper alert to repeat a standard to mild shipper alert. This concludes this segment of Nightwatch. Listeners, please check out Stella on the required reading podcast. Shout out to the Sutherlands. Check out Warlord Worlds, Trick or Talk, Xenozoic Xenophiles, Sensational Sleuths, Fantastic Fantasies, Convention Correspondents, and Super Secret Spies. Listeners, you can find and follow me on Twitter at BT1Batbooks. You can also find me on the Batbooks for Beginners podcast with Jerry Green, where we review trade paperbacks with Batman and related characters. Jerry and I also have a podcast called The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about independent comics every week. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and I hope you check it out and give it a try. Please leave any comments for the podcast or this segment on the Batman Universe website consider supporting the batman universe on patreon by following a link on the home page website if you wish to contact me directly my email address is bruce.wayne at us. thank you very much for your support who will go undercover at riverdale high and will the villains succeed with their ravenous riverdale riggers? what plans does rupert boss Thorne have for batman and gotham city and what is the secret of the little red book don't fail to listen to the next podcast where the answers to these wild, wall-to-wall, walloping, wambling, whirlwood whimsicals, whinnies, wares, and wonderstrucks will be found at the next Whistle Stop. Same Batsilla still a feed, same Batsilla still a sight.
0: Thanks, Chris. Next up is my anime watch list. Uh, first up, a film. I went to see it's my second... What are those called? fathom events i went up to i always have to go out i have to go to to richmond in order to get it which is shocking because i'm in a city that's pretty popular and i think that especially with the students and everything because i'm in a university town that they would go see some of these fathom events here especially the animes but anyways it's fireworks should we see it from the side or the bottom it's a 2017 film about an hour and 30 minutes it is both Japanese with English subtitles and an English dub. I ended up going to the English dub. So the summary is, it's summer, and Noramichi Shimada and his friends want to know if fireworks look round or flat from the side. They forge a plan to find the answer at Moshimo Festival's fireworks display. However, Noramichi finds himself conflicted when his classmate, Nazuna Oikawa plans to run away from home and wants Noramichi to join her. When things go awry in their attempt to escape, a strange orb in Nizuna's possession gives them another chance at staying together. I would say that this is new anime viewer approved, but you really need to pay attention to well, the whole thing, but to the beginning especially because it sort of gives hints to things that are going on. There are many questions as to... I guess, a sense of reality. Is this happening or is this happening? As well as the ending, what truly has happened. It reminds me a little bit of Your Name. Though I think I enjoyed, personally, Your Name a little bit better. And if I were to compare it, though, to a film that I think maybe more people have seen, I would say butterfly effect is almost similar because there is a sense of going back in time and changing some things and then how does it impact other events potentially. But yeah, I would just say, I would see your name first potentially and then fireworks and then fireworks if I would say... Maybe, you know, give it the chance to watch it twice. I personally have only seen it once, but now having seen the whole thing, it would be interesting to potentially see it again. And then for my show, it's called After the Rain. And it's recent. I was shocked when I went on my anime list and I found it was 2018 because, I don't know, I just felt like I saw a shipper video because sometimes that's how I find my anime. A shipper video video longer before that but I guess if it I don't know but anyways uh, it's 2018 12 episodes Japanese with English subtitles right now I saw it on Amazon Prime I don't think it has an, an English dub Summary is, Akira Tachibana, a reserved high school student and former track runner, has not been able to race the same as she used to since she experienced a severe foot injury, specifically the Achilles tendon. And although she is regarded as attractive by her classmates, she is not interested in the boys around school. While working part-time at the Garden Cafe, Akira begins to develop feelings for the manager... A 45-year-old man named Masame Kondu, despite the large age gap, Kondu shows genuine concern and kindness toward the customers of his restaurant, which, while viewed by others as softer, weak, draws Akira to him. Spending time together at the restaurant, they grow closer, which only strengthens her feelings. Weighed down by these uncertain emotions, Akira finally resolves to confess, but what will be the result? So... I would say it's new anime viewer approved, but you have to have an open mind. And I feel like Donovan, <laughs> my my dear dear friend, is probably already cringing because you've got a seventeen year old with a uh, you know a forty five year old man. Let me say that while shoot, I just lost my train of thought because somebody texted me. Okay, I will say that while she's the attraction is mostly one-sided, and I think he he might have moments of you know seeing that potential, but he very much keeps her at arm's length and he is very adamant about only being friends, but he's a very he's a kind character and what I really like about this show though is not only that. Uh, Both of the characters are very likable, and you know, there's no vindictive characters in the show because that seems to consistently happen. But you, it's, it's, I feel like it's just really deep because I think, in my personal opinion, that there are both of the characters have sort of these holes that are empty because there is this true love that they have for something that they've given up for akira it's the fact that she really loved running right track and field and then she had this injury and then she didn't do rehab and she hasn't run again and for uh masami you he he loved writing and unfortunately i think that ruined some of his relationships he's divorced now and he just hasn't done it since and he's been this general manager right for the restaurant and so you almost have these two characters come together and in their friendship in their relationship you they realize something is missing and they both decide to go for their dreams at the end and they both push each other's for that so towards the end you start to see the general manager starting to write more and then uh, akira starts to grab like have interactions with her best friend that she's sort of not been interacting with and they were really bonded over track and field and her best friend's sad uh, and also feels like you know Surely we can be friends over more things than just track and field, but It takes Akira a little bit because sometimes she's short with people. She's just very blunt to realize that she wants to be back in in that life of track and field and, and have her good friend as well. So I like that through this relationship, they realize what they truly want. So that's why I say, you know, with an open mind. So hopefully Donovan will forgive me. Oh, man. So there you go. Those are my two anime that I think you should watch. And just FYI, Mary and the Witch's Flower is on Netflix now, which I think I recommended... Ooh, when did I go see that? It might have been January or something. So now it's easier to watch. I'm sure it's probably the English, because there are some... I mean, Jim Broadbent's in there and Kate Winslet, so I'm sure they probably did that. Next up, and finally, is my literature recommendation. Several books. Here we go. Achilles by Madeline Miller. I've got a library story after this, a thrilling, profoundly moving, and utterly unique retelling of the legend of Achilles and the Trojan War, a tale of gods, kings, immortal fame, and the human heart. This Song of Achilles is a dazzling literary feat that brilliantly reimagines Homer's enduring masterwork, The Iliad. An action-packed adventure, an epic love story, a marvelously conceived and executed page-turner. I. This was really great and uh, you know i'm a classicist and i knew the story i've read the iliad of course partially in the greek and mostly in the english but i would recommend this just getting a sense of who achilles is madeline miller is also a classicist which is great so if you're into that sort of thing i think that you would enjoy this so here's my library story i i got this from the library and I read it and when I got it from the library I noticed uh maybe in the 200 page or area that sort of a crinkle that you know if if some if paper gets wet and it dries you know I've got that crinkle so a couple of those so I turn it back in and I get an email that I'm going to have to pay for a damaged book because of water damage now Part of it was, in fact, that crinkling, and then there was something at the beginning, the first couple pages, and I honestly can't tell you whether or not that was there, and because I didn't specifically remember, I thought, well, I might as well just pay for it in case I did something, because it had been raining consistently, and who knows if rain got in the car when I was sitting in the seat, or... I don't know, when I dropped it in the the book thing. But in any case, I tried to... I was talking to the person, and I thought, oh, no, it's, you know... I don't recall dropping off a damaged book. And I guess because it was newer, they they more closely monitor it. So then, you know, I go to the library to borrow books because I don't necessarily want to buy them, but now I own this book for $22, which is not what I would have paid. Let's just say that. And so... Number one, I'm sad just because i you know, I take good care of things, things that aren't mine, things that are mine, and, you know, something got ruined. The other thing is, I'm worried. I mean, is there going to be like a mark on my library account that they know that I damaged a book? Because that would be really disappointing. The reason why I think this uh, is just because it's been taking a while to get some holds in that I've been putting on, but... Maybe people are just taking a long time to read Sharp Objects by Jillian Flynn or whatever. But anyways, that's my library story. So just be really cautious. And the the woman did say that if I notice anything, when I want to check it out to let them know. So I'll be doing that. I'll be really more paranoid now. Next, Demon Knights, Volume 2, The Avalon Trap. On the road to Albasarum, the Demon Knights learn the tale of Madame Xanadu and Etrigan, and the twisted wealth they share. But even more twists abound as the knights arrive to an assassinated Merlin. Now they must travel to fabled land of Avalon in search of a way to revive their legendary wizard. But what they find on their way is a threat more dangerous than they could have expected, and a betrayal from one of their own. And Demon Knights, Volume 3, The Gathering Storm. Betrayed by Etrigan and trapped in hell, the Demon Knights must find a way to escape the clutches of Lucifer. To do so, one of the Demon Knights must make the ultimate sacrifice. Everything changes for the Demon Knights in this volume, directly connecting to the mysterious Black Diamond. So I finished up. That's it for the New 52 with the Demon Knights. And as Emily Middleton had said, and Tom had also said, very good. So I recommend those three. Not a lot of good things came out of the New 52, so you got to hold on to what you can. Next is Supergirl Being Super by Mariko. See, I wonder about this. I have a teacher colleague whose name is Mariko, but it seems like consistently the Japanese is very close to the first syllable, the accent. I'm going to have to ask someone. So I almost wonder if it's Mariko Tamaki. Hmm, I don't know. Tamaki. Because Haruka, Tamaki, I don't know. But anyways, we'll say Mariko. Mariko. Tamaki or Tamaki and Joelle Jones okay she's super strong she can fly she crash landed on earth in a rocket ship but for Kara Danvers winning the next track meet celebrating her 16th birthday and surviving her latest mega zit are her top concerns oh the make that was pretty funny and with the help of her best friends and her kind of infuriating but totally loving adoptive parents she just might be able to put her troubling dreams shattered glimpses of another world behind her until an earthquake shatters her small town of Midvale and uncovers secrets about her past she thought would always stay buried. Now Kara's incredible powers are kicking into high gear and people she trusted are revealing creepy ulterior motives. The time has come for her to choose between the world where she was born and the only world she's ever known. Will she find a way to save her town and be super or will she crash and burn? So I'm going to have a bunch of graphic novel stuff and that's basically a San Comic Con. Comixology always drops a bunch of sales. And I had seen this and I thought oh that's interesting and I trust one of the people I trust actually is Mariko Tamaki or Mariko Tamaki and when I saw that she had this I thought I'm going to give this a shot and I liked it I, I think it's a great retelling and I really recommend it Next is Jane, and shout out to fruit stand owner Katana Banana, David Gutierrez, for leading me to this, and it's by Aline McKenna and Ramon K. Perez. And McKenna, I think you might know her from "The Devil's Where the Devil Wears Prada" and my crazy ex girlfriend. Growing up in a broken home in a small fishing town, Jane dreamed of escaping to art school and following the allure of New York City. When that dream becomes a reality however, it's not long before she feels out of place by the size of the city and the talent of her peers. She soon discovers her place as she begins to nanny a young girl named Adele, but that is upended when she falls for the girl's father, Rochester, a sardonic man of power, wealth, and unexpected charm. Jane learns that in the world of of New York's elite, secrets are the greatest extravagance and she'll have to decide if she should trust the man she loves or do whatever it takes to protect Adele from the consequences of his deception. If you haven't figured out by now this is a retelling a modernization of jane Eyre, and i thought it was really good next grass kings volume one by matt kent and tyler jenkins three brothers who rule their own trailer park kingdom must face off against the sheriff of a neighboring town who wants her territory this is a critically acclaimed rural mystery series chronicling the tragic lives of the grass kings three brothers and rulers of a self-sufficient trailer park kingdom a fiefdom of the hopeless and lost seeking a promised land the grass kingdom is run by eldest brother robert who has been grief-stricken since losing his daughter years ago when a mysterious young woman flees to their community in search of safety robert takes her in as her true identity comes to light robert must decide if his chance at atonement is worth risking the entire kingdom i just this really different idea and i had been interested in but waiting for a sale because it was just super expensive and was not going down on Comixology and I just yeah I recommend it And, and it's beautiful beautiful watercolors and Persephone by Luik Locatelli Kowalski, ooh, I apologize. An adaptation of the Greek myth of Demeter and her daughter Persephone in an exciting universe that blends high fantasy adventure with visuals reminiscent of Japanese anime and 1950s American style comics. Persephone is an ordinary girl, which is exactly what is bothering her. She may be the adopted daughter of the famous magician Demeter, but Persephone struggles to find her place alongside such a force of nature. Driven by recurring nightmares as well as a budding curiosity, Persephone decides to explore the secrets of her birth, which everyone seems rather intent on keeping from her. With or without help, Persephone will embark on an epic adventure deep into the underworld where she'll discover far more than she bargained for. Uh, Again, we've got a lot of myths and classic stuff here, but this was a great, all these are weird retellings, like the theme here, but this was another great retelling and the art was also, I think, original and in a different style and amalgamation. Yeah, of certain things. So give this a shot as well. And finally, I think the last retelling is Circe by Madeline Miller. And I will say that I think, even, even though I own Achilles now, or Song of Achilles, that I did like Circe more than I did Achilles. So just, you know, take that for what it is worth. In the House of Helios, God of the Sun and Mightiest of the Titans. Huh. That's interesting. A daughter is born, but Circe is a strange child, not powerful like her father, not viciously alluring like her mother. Turning to the world of mortals for companionship, she discovers that she does possess power, the power of witchcraft, which can transform rivals into monsters and menace the gods themselves. Threatened, Zeus banishes her to a deserted island where she hones her occult craft, tames wild beasts, and crosses paths with many of the most famous figures in all of mythology, including the Minotaur dydalus and his doom son icarus the murderous medea and of course wily odysseus but there is danger too for a woman who stands alone and circe unwittingly draws the wrath of both men and gods ultimately finding herself pitted against one of the most terrifying and vengeful the olympians to protect what she loves most, Circe must summon all her strength and choose, once and for all, whether she belongs with the gods she is born from or the mortals she has come to love. With unforgettably vivid characters, mesmerizing language, and page-turning suspense, Circe is a triumph of storytelling, an intoxicating epic of family rivalry, palace intrigue, love and loss, as well as a celebration of indomitable female strength in a man's world. Yes, my first experience with Circe was probably being played by Bernadette Peters in the TV version of The Odyssey, which was, Odysseus was played by Armando Sante, I think his name is. I know, what was her name? Isabella Rossellini was Athena. So I've had history, I mean, that was, man, that was before sixth grade, that was like fifth grade maybe. So, yeah, Circe, I think she's a great character. Of course, reading the Odyssey, you should have some experience with her, as well as she is mentioned in the Aeneid. But, again, Madeline Miller does a great job. And I recommend that first, I think, before the Song of Achilles, but it depends, I guess, probably on which tale you of Homer's you appreciate more. So, there you go. Lots to look at, and they're all retellings. <laughs> remember you can send any questions or comments to BatgirlTheOracle at gmail.com find the show on Google Play and Stitcher like the show on Facebook follow it on Twitter at Batgirl, the Oracle. and follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well be sure to also support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon and once again thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl, the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast be sure to send me what your thoughts were on the Batman wedding as well as, of course, No Man's Land Part 1. Next month we have No Man's Land Part 2 and my guest will be Shagalicious himself. So something to look forward to. But until next time, fly on, bats lovers.
3: Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?